Are we ready? Good evening. Let's call to order the special council meeting closed sessions of February 6th, 2024 at 5.02 uh, p.m. The city strongly denounces hate speech and does not tolerate disruptive behavior in our meetings. Sunnyvale prides itself on the rich diversity of our residents. We are committed to creating a culture of belonging where members of our diverse community feel included, safe, and respected. This city council meeting is considered a limited public forum, which means the council can regulate the time, place, and then the and manner of speech to prevent our meetings from being disrupted. This protects the rights of other speakers and ensures the council can accomplish its business in a reasonable, reasonably efficient manner. Speaker comments must be limited to the agenda item being considered by the council. The presiding officer will make a determination as to whether a speaker's comment is related to an agenda item being considered by the council. If a speaker does not comply, the presiding officer will rule the speaker out of order. The presiding officer will not rule the speech out of order because the presiding officer disagrees with the content of the speaker's speech. Before we get started, I would like to remind the remind participants of some procedural items for this meeting. During the meeting, remote participant will remain muted when not speaking. If the if remote participants have a question or a comment, please use the raise hand feature. Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. Members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to the city clerk in person or use the raise, uh, raise hand feature online to request to speak or star nine on a telephone. Location and online meeting details are available on the council agenda. Captions are available to the viewers accessing this, accessing this meeting via Zoom. Caption can be displayed using show caption button. Following the closed session, the study session <coughs> provided an, uh, providing an update regarding the Levine's Act uh, will, be, will begin at 6 p.m. followed by a regular council meeting at 7 p.m. We encourage the public to stay tuned and participate in the study session and the and regular meeting. City Clerk, may we, may we please have the roll call? Mayor Klein. Present. Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Present. Councilmember Melton. Present. Councilmember Cisneros. Present. Councilmember Dean. Councilmember Mellinger. Present. Councilmember Sell. Present. Six present. Uh, council member dean is an excused absence members of the public will now have an opportunity to address the council on the closed session items 
Members of the public wishing to address the council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk or raise your digital hand now or dial star nine on, on a telephone to indicate you wish to speak. I will call on the members of public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask the remote participant to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to speak, to address the council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. Is anyone interested in speaking on this item before you hear the uh, remote speakers? No. City Clerk, do we have any remote participant wishes, wishing to speak on this item? No, Vice Mayor. I'll close public comment. Council will now adjourn to, the, uh, adjourn to close session. See you back here at 6 p.m. Thank you.
atrás, ADUs, con diferentes programas de zonificación. Es algo que tenemos que seguir uh,
this is an audio test. 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 Okay. Good evening. Let's call to order the special council meeting, the steady session of February 6, 2024, at uh, 6.07 p.m. The city strongly denounces hate speech and does not tolerate disruptive behavior in our meetings. Sunnyvale prides itself on the rich diversity of our residents. We are committed to creating, uh, committed to creating a culture of belonging where members of our diverse community feel included safe and respected. This city council meeting is considered a limited public forum, which means the council can regulate the time, place, and the manner of speech to prevent our meetings from being disrupted. This protects the rights of other speakers and ensures the council can accomplish its business in a reasonable, reasonably efficient manner. Speaker comments must be limited to the agenda item being considered by the council. The presiding officer will make a determination as to whether a speaker's comment is related to an agenda item being considered by the council. If a speaker does not comply, the presiding officer will rule the speaker out of order. The presiding officer will not rule speech out of order because the presiding officer disagrees with the content of the speaker's speech. Before we get started, I would like to remind participants of some procedural items for this meeting. During this meeting, remote participant will remain muted when not speaking. If remote uh, participants have a question or a comment, please use the raise hand feature. Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. Members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to the city clerk in person or use the raised, uh, raise and feature online to request to speak or star nine on a telephone. Location and online meeting details are available on the council agenda. 
captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed using the show captions button. Following the study session, the regular council meeting will begin at 7 p.m. We encourage the public to stay tuned and participate in the regular meeting. City Kirk, may we please have a roll call? Mayor Klein. Present. Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Present. Councilmember Melton. Present. Councilmember Cisneros. Present. Councilmember Dean. Councilmember Mellinger. Present. Councilmember Sell. Present. Six present with Councilmember Dean absent. Yeah, Councilmember Dean is in excused absence. Moving on to our next item, 24-026-226. Is there a staff report? Yes, as soon as we, oh, there it is. Uh, thank you. Um, good evening, Mayor and Council Members. I'm going to be giving a presentation on Government Code Section 84308, also known as the Levine Act, which is a conflict of interest law that um, governs conflicts of interest arising from campaign contributions. Um, to get started, I'll give an overview to talk about what is the Levine Act. And this slide um, is probably going to be the most interesting part of the discussion. Um, after this, we'll get into a lot more technical details. But what is the history of this law? Uh, it goes back to the formation of the California Coastal Commission, which was created by a voter initiative in 1972 and was strengthened significantly by the Coastal Act that was enacted in 1976. There are 12 voting members of the California Coastal Commission, um, appointed by the governor the, and the both houses of the legislature. There are six local elected officials and six appointed from the public at large. The California Coastal Commission, if, you, if you've ever lived on the California coast under the jurisdiction of the Coastal Commission, they have a lot of power and authority over development on the coast. And in 1980, the LA Times broke a story about uh, what, what has been called pay-to-play corruption at the California Coastal Commission. And what pay-to-play corruption means is where officials trading um, campaign contributions for votes. And what the LA Times found is that there were three coastal commissioners and they were doing things like um, when someone had a pending application before the Coastal Commission, the Coastal Commissioner would call that person and ask them for campaign contributions, um, just uh, for their own campaign sometimes or also for other politicians' campaigns. Um, they also regularly took contributions from attorneys and consultants who, rep who represented applicants before the Coastal Commission. And... Interestingly, they always voted in favor of their contributors' projects. And then they were even contacting people after the hearing um, to request more donations. So this story created a huge scandal, uh, especially for um, people who lived on the coast who were very frustrated with the Coastal Commission because they weren't, uh, they weren't granting development applications unless they received contributions. So this led to the enactment of the Levine Act um, in 1982. 
And the Levine Act um, is a statute um, in the government code, and it um, originally only applied to appointed board and commission members because it was really directed at the Coastal Commission, which was an appointed board. So for many years, it's it had only applied to appointed board and commission members or local elected officials when they were serving on another board, for example, a council member appointed to serve on the county's LAFCO board. Significantly, it did not apply to elected officials such as council members. This was a, considered a loophole and that was closed in 2022 with a bill called SB 1439, um, which for the first time since 1980 made this law apply to um, count city council members, which was a very big change. Previously, it was really only a concern for, for example, planning commissioners who were running for city council. The new statute became effective January 1st, 2023. Um, the FPBC also enacted a set of amended regulations, which can be found in FPBC regs 18438 to 18438.8. And there's quite a bit of information now on the FPBC webpage. If you go to www.fppc.ca.gov and you um, navigate to their pay to play webpage, there's quite a few materials and fact sheets and, um, and guides that you can uh, use to educate yourself about this law. So the Levine Act in a nutshell um, has a different there's different aspects to it for officials. One is a fundraising ban. And the fundraising ban means that while a proceeding is pending and for 12 months after a final decision, you cannot accept, solicit, or direct a contribution over $250 from a party participant with a financial interest or uh, persons acting as agents for parties or participants. There's also a disclosure and recusal obligation where an officer must disclose contributions they received over $250 in the previous 12 months from a party participant or their agent. And unless there's a cure available, which we'll talk about later, uh, they have to recuse from that decision. For parties and participants, there's a contribution ban. So parties, participants, and their agents cannot contribute more than $250 during a proceeding and for 12 months after final decision, a party or a party's agent must disclose contributions over $250 on the record of the proceeding for that decision. Um, interestingly though, participants have no duty to disclose and I'm going to get into the definitions of these terms. So in trying to understand what the Levine Act does, um, there are a lot of terms of art that you have to understand, and I'm afraid it's kind of technical to go through all of these, but it's really important to understand how this law works. So first of all, the law applies to officers. What is an officer? An officer is an individual who can make, participate in making, or influence a decision, a government decision, or who exercises a authority or budgetary control over those who make decisions. Specifically, officers are defined in the law as elected officials 
except judges and the California legislature. The California legislature exempted itself. Um, <laughs> it also covers members of appointed boards and commissions, the chief executive of an agency, and any official with the agency who has decision-making authority, who was a candidate for elected office in 12 months prior to the decision. So what's a party? A party is a person who files an application or is subject to a proceeding. Um, subject to means they're an applicant for a license or a permit. They, they're involved in a permit revocation proceeding as a party. They're entering a contract with the city or they could own property that is directly affected by the decision such as a rezoning or a general plan amendment. Um, and also a financial interest, oh, sorry, I'm uh, jumping ahead. So a participant is a person with a financial interest in the decision who actively supports or opposes the decision um, either by lobbying, which is defined as directly communicating for purposes of influencing a decision, giving testimony or public comment during a proceeding, or engaging in other communications with the agency for purposes of influencing the outcome. Um, financial interests are the types of interests that we deal with um, all the time with FPPC regulations, ownership of real property, business interests, and so on. Now, what's an agent? Um, an agent is defined as a person who for compensation represents a party or participant participant in a pending proceeding and who appears before otherwise communicates with the agency um, to influence that proceeding. So it's important to keep in mind that there's that term for compensation. So an agent is a paid, is someone who's paid. It's not just someone's friend or family member who is lobbying on their behalf. It's someone who is paid to do that. Um, agents can include consultants, law firms, architects, engineers and other entities who work for parties or participants. Uh, both the individual and the employer. So if it's if it's an architect and they work for a consulting firm, both the consulting firm and the architect would be considered agents. And there is a limited exception for just um, people who submit purely technical data analysis or, or drawings. Um, so that that can affect um, you know the types of consultants that help prepare, development applications um, and are only doing, they're not lobbying for a result, but they're just providing technical analysis or drawings. And what's a proceeding? So a proceeding is any proceeding to grant, deny, revoke, restrict, or modify a license permit or other entitlement for use that doesn't solely involve a purely ministerial decision and is applied for formally or informally requested by the party, or it's a franchise or contract. And then there's an exception for competitively bid labor and personal employment contracts. So I'm sorry, that's kind of a complicated definition. Um, but basically you just have to keep in mind, you know, are they are they applying for a development permit? Are they a are they a landowner? Um are they, uh, you know, a vendor that's entering a contract with the city and it's not a competitively bid contract um, and it's not a labor contract? 
those are the types of things that are going to come up that are subject to the Levine Act. Um, and when is a proceeding pending? So the pending proceeding happens when the decision is before the officer for their consideration, such as when it's placed on an agenda uh, for a public meeting or where the officer knows or has reason to know that the proceeding is before the agency and it's reasonably foreseeable it will come before the officer in their decision-making capacity. This is an area um, that is a little bit vague and that I hope we will get more guidance from the FPPC um, because, you know, when is, when is it reasonably foreseeable? For example, if something goes to the Planning Commission and it's appealable to the City Council, is it reasonably foreseeable that it's going to come to the City Council? Um, I, there isn't really clear direction on that yet. Um, so that so that is that's something we're still you know struggling with a little bit, um, you know if it's a controversial project and it and you can anticipate maybe that it will be appealed, you could um, you could conclude that that's reasonably foreseeable. What contributions are covered? So it's contributions over the limit of two hundred fifty dollars that an officer accepts, solicits, or directs either to the officer's own campaign or controlled committee or to another candidate's campaign or controlled committee. And accepting means that there's a donation that's made and received. Solicit means asking for a contribution. Directing means that you uh, asked for a contribution and then the contribution was made. So this might raise a question, what's a controlled committee? Um, a controlled committee is a committee that is directly or indirectly controlled by the candidate or office holder. And this can include uh, campaign committees, also ballot measure committees, legal defense funds, officer, office holder controlled committees and recall committees. Um, so it's not just campaign committees that can be considered controlled committees. And indirect control means that the candidate or office holder or their agent has significant influence on the committee's actions. One of the criticisms of this expansion of the Levine Act is that it doesn't apply to independent expenditures, so it just means that there will probably, probably be more independent expenditures being made. So uh, one of the areas that um, candidates and officials who are subject to the Levine Act really need to be careful about is this um, concept of aggregation of contributions. Aggregation of contributions is a frequent area where um, candidates um, get in trouble be inadvertently because they don't realize that aggregation rules apply. And this isn't just part of the Levine Act, this is campaign disclosure rules in general. Um, under the Levine Act, it says that a party or participant's contributions will be aggravated with contributions by their agent that were made in the previous 12 months or from the date the agent was hired as a paid employee um, or contractor or consultant, whichever is shorter. Um, and then these other aggregation rules also apply. And 
Uh, these rules can be complicated and they can be fairly fact specific. Um, so uh, I attached as a um, as an attachment to the staff report on this agenda item, the um, FPPC campaign disclosure manual for local officials chapter, I think it's chapter four, where it has some additional information about aggregation and some examples. But this is a this is something where if you you know aren't sure you really want to call the FPPC um, or email them at their advice hotline to get some assistance because um, it is, like I said, it can be factually specific. Um, basically what these rules say are that an individual's contributions has have to be aggregated with contributions from an entity they direct and control. Um, two or more entities that are directed and controlled by a majority of the same persons have to be aggregated. And a majority owner of an entity has to be aggregated with contributions from all other entities that are majority owned by that person unless those entities make independent decisions. Like they have an independent board of directors not under control of the majority owner. So like I said, this can be complicated and fact specific. All right, so um, going into the next part of the, the presentation, I'm going to talk about disclosure rules, uh, recusal rules, and how you can cure um, an acceptance of a contribution and still participate in a matter under some, some circumstances. Uh, so when is disclosure and recusal required? Um, prior to rendering the decision, an officer must disclose the receipt of any contribution over $250 from a party, participant, or agent in the previous 12 months. Disclosure must be made on the record of proceedings. So if it's in a public hearing, it has to be stated on the record. And recusal is required if the officer willfully and knowingly received, well, or willfully or knowingly received the contribution or received a contribution from a participant um, with reason to know of the participant's financial interest. So what is willful, what does willful and knowing mean? Um, that means actual knowledge that you received the contribution, the party disclosed the contribution, um, or other facts, including um, that the donor or another person informed the officer of the contribution, the donor had previously made two or more contributions over $250, the officer personally solicited the contribution or the officer personally accepted the contribution. And it does say in the regulation that knowledge will not be imputed solely from required campaign disclosures. Um, so that means that if the only reason that the, that the officer should have known they, re, they had a contribution from that person is the campaign disclosure. That isn't gonna be the only reason that the FPPC would find a violation. And uh, what, are, what are the reasons you might know of a participant's financial interest? So again, a participant is a person who's not a party, but they have a financial interest in the decision. And so the regulations say, you know, that can arise either from actual knowledge of the participant's financial interest 
or if the participant reveals facts that makes their financial interest apparent. Uh, for example, if they're if they tell you, I'm really upset about this project because I live next door to it, that would be a fact that you would, you know, hopefully would make you realize that they had a financial interest. Um, there's some presumptions in the regulation. So if the person owns real property within 500 feet of a project, if they are a business entity that could see a significant increase or decrease in customers, or if there's a business relationship with the applicant um, that could result in more services, um, those, are, those are three things that FPPC put in the reg that should trigger at least a, a further analysis of whether this person is considered a participant under the Levine Act. Uh, the reg does say it's more than just an economic interest in the general vicinity of a project. And the FPPC fact sheet on 84308 says that there's no proactive duty to investigate um, to see if, a, if someone has a potential financial interest, such as questioning the, the individual or reviewing other public records. So I think that is helpful because it means you don't have to quiz you know, everyone who gives a donation about what their potential financial interest might be. So it, how do you cure um, and, part, and still be able to participate in the decision? You can return the contribution over $250 within 30 days of the time that you know or should have known of both the contribution and the proceeding, and there's an and in there. So you have to know that you got the contribution and that there's a proceeding subject to the Levine Act. Um, so for example, the contribution was received from a party to the decision prior to the officer knowing or having reason to know that a proceeding involving the party had commenced. You know, it wasn't on an agenda, uh, the person hadn't filed an application, something of that nature. Um, or the contribution was received from a participant prior to the officer knowing or having reason to know of the participant's financial interest. So, you know, once it's triggered, then that 30 days starts to run where you can return the contribution. And there's also a, a cure um, process if you find out, you know, at the hearing on the dais, you find out, or maybe shortly before the hearing, that you accepted a contribution and you realize this person, you know, lives next door to the project or something like that. So the regulation says you can continue to participate in the public hearing if it's been fewer than 30 days since you knew or should have known about the contribution and the proceeding, you disclose the contribution on the record and you commit to returning the contribution within 30 days of that trigger date, um, and you actually return the contribution within that 30-day timeframe. <laughs> Now, what about contributions made after a proceeding? Um, it's unlawful to accept, solicit, or direct a contribution from a party participant or agent for 12 months after the final decision. And no cure is available 
if the officer knowingly and willfully accepted, solicited, or directed the contribution. It's just a violation in that case, and you might get fined by the FPPC. Um, if it wasn't knowing and willful, you have to return it within 14 days. And finally, uh, one question that came up after the bill was enacted was whether the legally required participation rule applies to these, con these conflicts under the Levine Act. And that's the process where if you can't have a, you can't get a quorum because a majority of members of the body are recused for financial conflicts, you can draw straws or use some other random process to select members to participate until a quorum is reached. Um, there was some concerns raised um, after this law went into effect that somebody could, you know, disqualify, sort of maliciously disqualify people by giving them donations mm -hmm. um, and defeating a quorum and things like that. So, you know, this, this um, confirms that we can at least have a quorum to make a decision. All right, so what is the latest status? Um, as I said at the beginning, the FPPC website has a lot of resources now um, that can help you out. There's, uh, there's a guide to the Levine Act that I attached to the staff report. There's the guide on campaign rules that I attached. And you can also contact FPPC staff. You can send them emails. They're actually very helpful. Um, they do have... Um, they, they do try to get back quickly and provide advice quickly. Um, you can talk to, I didn't put this on the slide, but as with other types of conflicts of interest, you can talk to the city attorney's office and we can assist in getting a letter from the FPPC on specific issues. Um, they have issued uh, several letters in the last um, year or so. Uh, just some examples of letters they've issued. Um, they found that a project labor agreement between the agency and project contractors was exempt um, because it was um, a labor agreement. Um, and they've, they've issued some other letters uh, on things that they said are covered by the Levine Act. So small contracts and purchase orders, there's no you know, there's no value um, threshold. Um, if it's not exempt as a as a competitively bid contract, it's subject to the Levine Act, even if it's a small contract. Um, there was one situation uh, that someone asked the FPPC about. It was just a $1,000 grant to a nonprofit. They said that was covered. Um, they said that a city council proceeding for the periodic review of a development agreement is covered and also a general plan amendment if it's initiated by a landowner. So one area that the, that the Levine Act doesn't cover are, are general legislative decisions. Um, however, if you have a legislative decision like a general plan amendment that was initiated by a landowner or requested by a landowner, that can be considered an entitlement for use that's covered. And there's also been um, some discussion about proposed legislative fixes. I checked and I couldn't find any bills that have been introduced yet, but I, I have heard from, um, from the Cal City's lobbyist that there is discussion about that. One possibility is to raise the limit from $250 to a higher amount adjusted for inflation. It's been $250 since 1982. 
which would be um, $813 in 2023. Um, so there's been discussion about that. And also I've, I've heard that some of the labor unions are lobbying for additional exemptions that would benefit labor unions. And um, that is all I have. Thank you very much. Uh, <clears throat> I open for council members questions, and then we have about 15 minutes for council questions, if you can restrict that. First off is council member Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Vice Mayor. I'll be brief. Um, so uh, let's, I want to go through a couple hypothetical ex uh, examples here. Um, let's say that a one of the city employees unions gives a co campaign contribution to a candidate who wins. And there are then contract negotiations with that union within 12 months of them receiving the contribution. Are they required to recuse? Um, labor contracts are exempt. Okay. Um, so I'll give you another example. Um, so let's say we've got two people, Alice and Bob. Uh, Alice wants to build an apartment building. Bob lives next door. Um, Bob gives my campaign $500, uh, six months later, Alice's proposal comes before council. The first I see that Bob opposes it is when he walks up to that spot there and says, don't, don't let this go forward. So Bob has given me $500. He says he lives next door. He doesn't want it. Do I just say, okay, I'm recused and get down off the dais and walk out the room? Well, that's where you have the the possibility you could um, you could Return. commit to returning two hundred. So it's you can keep two hundred and fifty dollars of it. So if you commit to returning the uh, other two hundred and fifty in that example, okay, um, that's and but if I am not able to make that commitment, then yes, I would have to walk down. If, right. if, for instance, I've closed my campaign account and I would be having to return that money out of my personal funds and could not do that. Right. I see. Okay. So I would be get down and walk out. Right. If you knew. So with a participant, they have no duty, as I mentioned, to disclose. So if you didn't know that Bob, if Bob had never said to you that he lived next door or ever talked to you about the project. Um, but if you had talked to Bob, you knew he gave you a contribution and you knew he lived next door to that project. But if he just if the first I know he lived next door is he comes up and he says it. In right. The, and you remember him giving you a contribution, then, yeah, then yep. you would have okay. to. Um, so do we have any legislative advocacy positions on this? At the moment? Uh, locally, no, not that I'm aware I'm, I'm going to say that while I appreciate what the state is trying to do here. And I appreciate the need to ensure that we do not have pay to play schemes like the one that the Coastal Commission had 45 years ago. Um, the way this bill is structured makes it extremely difficult for public officials to know when or if uh, it's triggered for them. And it could leave them in a situation where, well, I checked, I don't have any contributions from the agents or the uh, what's the other term? The parties, participants, the parties, thank you. Um, so I'm good. No, Bob shows up and now I have to get off the dais. Um, and I think, you know, if we could have a, I think it might be good to have a short-term legislative priority on fixing this so that it is clearer to public officials, you know, and that public officials are able to know ahead of time. 
so whether I, they would be required to recuse, uh, yeah. and so that we can join in on any Cal City's efforts for uh, fixes to this. And I will say I have talked to the FEPC staff, and they're getting the same message from all over the state, and they're going to be working on uh, clarifying some of the regulations in the upcoming year and having more. They actually are having a webinar, but it's on the 15th, which is when we have the all-day budget workshop. But Will they at least have a recording? I was going to contact them and find out if, they, if they're going to have a recording. Thank you. That does it for my questions. Thank you, Councilmember Mellinger. Next up is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thanks, Vice Mayor. Um, first and foremost, if I recommend to my colleagues, if you can get a copy of that LA Times article from 1980, it's absolutely hilarious how the Times spells out what was happening to the Coastal Commission. Highly recommended. Rebecca, I've been dealing with 84308 since I was a planning commissioner running for city council starting in like 2015. So this has always been a part of my political life. I've had 84308 by virtue of being on LAFCO, by being on virtue of being on the Airport Land Use Commission. So it's always been part of the deal, but this whole thing with um, SB 1489 just made it completely um, over the top. Uh, and one of the things that you brought up is what I refer to as weaponization of campaign contributions. That's sort of one of the first things you realize is that, you know, people who don't agree <laughs> with a candidate politically can mischievously make a campaign contribution to sort of pocket being able to take them out down the road. Um, and I've always felt there's two ways to look at this. Uh, up here on the dais, each of us can look at it as a candidate, right? A politician and a potential candidate, but there's also a potential impact for the city. And that's what I want to talk about. I get all the rules and everything, and I know what I need to do as a potential future candidate to deal with it, but there's also potential impacts to the city. And I think the prime example is VTA, right? So VTA ended up putting on each of their agenda items up at the top, it's a checkbox that says, is this agenda item subject to the requirements of the Levine Act? Yes or no. And the reason that VTA had to do that is because they've got all their board members who are county supervisors, bless their hearts, all these board members who are San Jose council members, right? Lots and lots and lots of campaign contributions. And for the agency, not talking about the candidates, Rebecca, but for the agency, the worst thing that can happen is um, the agency goofs up because a voting board member, or in our case, a council member, doesn't realize or forgets to recuse or just in all of these crazy rules, doesn't understand that they need to recuse. And then that exposes the city to some sort of subsequent bad thing happening. And I think in the example of VTA on one massive agenda item they had, it's like, we're gonna have to rescind the whole thing and do it over again. And that's just a circumstance that I would want to avoid. So here are some thoughts, Rebecca, that I want you to consider. Uh, number one is I think it would be not difficult for the city to start putting at the top of every single agenda item, whether it's consent agenda, something or other for a contract for road work 
or a major agenda item for regular business, just add at the top, is this thing subject to 84308? Yes or no? And I think that I feel, Rebecca, like that would be pretty straightforward for OCA to do. Why don't I stop for just a second? Would that be an easy thing to do or not an easy thing to do? You know, I don't I don't think just that part of it is is that difficult because there's just, you know, you can say, is it a contract, a franchise? Um, you know, is it a labor contract, personal employment contract? You know, so there's there's a few categories you can check a box on. Mm -hmm. I would um, I would defer to the city manager um, with regard to, you know, what goes on staff reports and agendas. Okay. Well, I'll ask um, OCM and OCA to put their collective heads together and then just get back to city council, right? Depending on whatever it is that you hear tonight, is there anything the city can do to protect itself from a slip up that would yield a bad result for the city? The first step to my way of thinking, Rebecca, would be what we just talked about, a checkbox on the top of every report to council. Next level type stuff, and I'm not actually advocating for this, but I would like OCM and OCA to think about this, would then be to do the same thing for planning commission agenda items. And then if you really want to take it to the nth degree, it would be for items that show up on the TC Mac, right? Because the TC Mac and many cities have their versions of TC Macs is a way to predict with a high level of certainty, what is coming to the city council. And that harkens back to, you know, you knew or should have known or reasonably should have known. Okay, well, you can kind of reasonably know by looking at the TC Mac, what's coming down the pipe. And maybe Rebecca, there should be a checkbox on the items on the TC Mac that say, yeah, this is 84308able or it isn't. So those are sort of the three things that I would like OCM and OCA to think about. The first one, pretty easy to implement, in my opinion, and then it gets progressively more difficult. But I do think the city needs to do something uh, to protect itself. So thank you for listening to my comments, and I look forward to seeing an email or some sort of announcement about what it is that you decide. Thank you for considering my viewpoints. Thanks, Council Member. Next is Council Member Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. And, and thank you for the presentation. That is a lot of dense information. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> it's not your fault. It's not the most exciting it's presentation. Not, no, it's not your fault, but it was, uh, um, well, it's exciting to people who could be very, very deeply affected by this. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so maybe not to most people. Uh, so I do have just a couple questions. So you mentioned in um, Council Member Mellinger's example that if it's a $500 contribution, you'd only need to return $250 of it. So does that mean the threshold is really $251? It's uh, more than 250. More than. Yeah. Okay. That's very helpful. So that's kind of the limit there. So mm -hmm. if somebody gave 250 even, mm -hmm. then, okay. Okay. That, that's very helpful. Um, and then on slide eight, it says, uh, it would count if you have authority or budgetary control over those who do make the decisions. So if someone were to come before planning commission and not council, we went over that we you have to have a reasonable expectation or like knowledge that it could come before council or would, but council also has, uh, you know, 
authority over planning commission. They serve at the pleasure of council. And that wasn't gone over. Would it would that apply or is that just simply appointing them not within their own authority? Um, so personal labor contract, personal employment contracts are exempt. So that would be the city manager and the city attorney in Sunnyvale, I think, are the only employees who have labor contract or personal employment contracts. Okay. Okay. So that means that that's good. Just simply. Um, so I'm not sure I follow your question exactly. Oh, so, oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Trying to <laughs> put it all together. We appoint the planning commission mm -hmm. on slide eight. It talks about having the authority or budgetary control over those who do make the decisions. Like you would need to go ahead. It would apply to you as well. Uh, so, and yeah, so an officer is someone who, um, isn't just an elected official, but could be, for example, um, you know, if the city manager or the city attorney was running as a candidate, um, if, you know, if the city, in some cities, the city attorney is elected, so it would apply to them. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That clarifies that yeah. 100% for me. Thank you so much. So then I just have a question over the when you're made aware piece. So for at least me, I don't have that kind of knowledge in my head where everyone lives and, you know, residents or want to, as in uh, council member Mellinger's example, and come to city hall and, you know, tell us what to do. And for me, unless I know that person pretty well, I'm, I'm not really thinking about where they live necessarily, especially like down to the foot limit for a project. So if, I make that decision completely unaware of this person who gave me $300 or whatever. Could somebody go retroactively back into the campaign reports and make that complaint and compel me to give that money back, even though I made the decision completely? It had nothing to do with that because I had no idea. So, I mean, the, I guess there's two parts of that is one is, you know, if it was a violation, if you didn't know, um, you never had any reason to know the person had a financial interest. Um, and then the second part is the, I don't believe the FPP, the FPPC can impose fines for violations. Um, they can't make you pay back campaign donations, but they could fine you for a violation up to uh, $5,000 per violation. Oh, so there wouldn't, I, I thought maybe there, oh, so the opportunity to cure would have passed. Right. So then it would be a fine. So that right. goes back to the first part. Can some... Can that happen if you made a decision ignorant of that potential conflict? So you you have to know. So you have to you have to know or have reason to know of the of the part of the participant's financial interest. So if you didn't know where they lived and you didn't know that they had a, and the fact sheet that the FPPC created said there's no proactive duty to question all of your donors to find out where they live. So if you really had no information, um, they were just someone who made a donation to you, um, a participant has no duty to disclose, so they could even come and speak. And if you didn't remember or know that they gave you a donation, you know, I think you you probably, obviously everything's very fact-specific, you know, but based on those facts, you probably wouldn't have violated it. Now, to the other part of the question, you know, could someone go through and, and try to find violations? I, you know, I think 
they could potentially do that and you know that could happen um so that's one of the risks well that's all that you know malicious litigiousness around this that's just a part of it and so then my last question is how does this apply to spouses or family members of potential agents parties or participants um so um that's a good question. So for, for participants, so financial interests, you know, can as you probably know, um, can be, you know, your spouse's income can be attributed to you. Um, if your spouse owns property in their own name and, and you have some, maybe you have some um, equity interest in that, that could be attributed to you. So the same would probably apply to a participant. Um, Again, it gets it gets even more attenuated than to even know, like maybe you don't know who their husband is, you know, an employee of some business that has a financial interest and you'd have no way to know that. And then go back to the first. Yeah. That other question I asked where it's just not knowing and it get you get into the weeds of something yeah. of, a, of a hypothetical that gets brought up after the fact. Yeah. It almost is. And and other something else I I forgot to mention is um when I was reading so I was I was reading up a little bit on the FPPC enforcement and they actually have a program now um kind of like I guess like driving school um for uh, minor you know minor violations um that were inadvertent where uh the official takes a class and doesn't have to pay a fine. <laughs> mm. Like traffic school. Right. Like traffic school. Like a traffic school. Okay. That, that's cool. Anyway, that, those are all my questions. Thank you so much for helping us understand this. It is super important, especially right. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Council Member. Next up, Amir Klein. Sure. I'll try to keep my comments very short. Um, and ultimately, this is, and thank you, Rebecca, for doing this presentation and city manager for, for bringing this um, as a study session, you know, and it's, as Councilmember Melton was saying, it's conceivably weaponizing, you know, public comment to a large degree and whether or not a candidate or past candidate and, you know, you're making a decision months later um, is then called out or, or you know, what, whatever happens, it's, it's always the issue. And we've talked a lot about hypotheticals, you know, between the two of us. And um, I do question FPPC, the FPPC's bandwidth to actually enforce this correctly. I know, you know, we had lots of lots of complaints over a year ago that I don't think that they ever ruled on. And, you know, so I it's it it is a question. It's a it's a big question in my mind whether or not they can do this. And into Councilmember Mellinger's comment or a question about advocacy. Yeah, I've been advocating with several of our state senators and assembly members that this needs to be fixed. You know, this um it's of course they always impose things that they don't impose on themselves. And <laughs> and it's those sorts of things that, you know, it's like if they had to follow these same rules, even slightly, you know, raise the limit a little bit, things would change dramatically. Um, I do want so are there examples of this already in the state being cured from the dais? Um, I have heard anecdotally as one of my colleagues mentioned that someone who brought like their checkbook would have their checkbook with them prepared to write a check, but I, I don't know if they ever have <laughs> had to do that. <laughs> no, but it, but it's, it's the, I think it's more, um, you know, we, you provide the, the chair and the vice chair scripts and things of that nature. It's, is, is there language that would be expected? You know, it's, it's 
how, if, you know, if you get into this case, and I understand you're not trying to support candidates as a city attorney, but the other half of that is you're also trying mm -hmm. to make this meeting run smoothly and making sure that both, you know, the council members and the city aren't, you know, aren't put in a negative light. So, so I would, you know, if you have examples from okay. a state standpoint, I do think that that's useful. You know, my biggest issue is, is the example that, you know, council member Mellinger said, you know, it's like, it's that, it's that person that's the personal advocate that, you know, shows up one evening donated to your campaign months ago. And it's like, I don't want this project to go forward. And it's a participant, le less so than agent. Agent becomes, okay, it's it's normally a project. But when you're starting to talk about participants, you know, our biggest advocates that are showing up at meetings, you don't know where they live. And, and, and you start looking at some of the wider specific plan, you know, decisions that are made uh, that are, let's say, have a wider impact. And we know from an FPP standpoint, you know, it used to be, 300 feet distance, 500 feet, 1,000 feet. And now there's this nebulous, um, you're, you have a financial interest. And at least here currently it's 500 feet, but but there's a lot of, let's say, um, wiggle room in some of the wording there that that I still think becomes an issue. But I appreciate I appreciate your, your feedback. And, and I hope, you know, council members take this to heart because, you know, it's, it's something that will be moving forward and hopefully... The assembly um, and Senate fix, fixes this in some way over the next year. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. <clears throat> uh, I don't have too many questions or comments. Uh, everything has been asked, but <clears throat> I echo Mayor's comment about FPPC's bandwidth. I have firsthand information, <laughs> experience on that. I was also concerned about our uh, Sunnyvale City limit. Sunnyvale City campaign limit is four thousand nine hundred dollars, correct per person or per organization. Oh. Not aware that we have a local campaign. That's a limit. state limit. The state passed a law setting forty nine hundred by okay. default. Okay, so. Fifty-five. It it is fifty-five. Okay. I think in, it was yeah. forty-nine. Okay. No. Thank you. But yeah, I, I I didn't know how this would reconcile with that, time, which is almost eleven times the limit of this, or more than eleven times, twenty-two times. So, uh, yeah, that's the um, that's the state, the state limit. Yeah. Um. So if you if you know if you have questions about that, you can go to the FPPC website. Um. They have quite a bit of information about that on the website for um, candidates. Okay. okay, those are my questions. I see no other question from the council. I'll go ahead and uh, open the public comment on this uh, specific item. Members of the public wishing to address the council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk. Use the raise hand feature now or dial star nine on a telephone to indicate you wish to speak. I'll call on the members of the public participating in person first. Then the city clerk will ask remote participant to unmute when it is their turn to address the council. I don't see any speakers will have three minutes to speak. I don't see any speaker card. Is there anyone else uh, interested in speaking on this item before we hear from the remote speakers? I don't see that. City clerk. Do we have any remote pa uh, participant wishing to speak on this item? No, Vice Mayor. 
Thank you. I, I will close public comments now. At this time, the meeting will uh, recess until 7 or 7.10, 7.05. Thank you.
Good evening. Let's call to order the council meeting of February 6, 2024 at 7.06 p.m. The city, the city strongly denounces hate speech and does not tolerate disruptive behavior in our meetings. Sunnyvale prides itself on the rich diversity of our residents. We are committed to creating a culture of belonging where members of our diverse community feel safe, included, and respected. The city council meeting is considered a limited public forum, which means that council can regulate the time, place, and manner of speech to prevent our meetings from being disrupted. This protects the rights of other speakers and ensure that council can accomplish its business in a reasonably efficient manner. Speaker comments must be limited to the agenda item being considered by council for consent calendar items or public hearing items. Speaker comments during oral communications must be limited to matters within the city council's authority to address, generally referred to as council's subject matter jurisdiction. The presiding officer may determine it would be impractical, impractical to include remote public comment during oral communications for the purpose of timeliness of the meeting or conducting an orderly meeting. Such a determination shall be made prior to opening public comment on oral communications. The presiding officer will make a determination as to whether a speaker's comments are related to an agenda item being considered by council or to a matter within the subject matter jurisdiction of council during oral communications. If a speaker does not comply, the presiding officer will rule that speaker out of order. The presiding officer will, rule, will not rule speech out of order because the presiding officer disagrees with the content of a speaker's speech. Before we get started, I'd like to remind participants of some procedural items for this meeting. During the meeting, remote participants will remain muted when not speaking. If remote participants have a question or a comment, please use the raised hand feature. Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. A random order voice vote will be administered, or maybe not, uh, by the city clerk for each vote, or we'll do our, technic our, our new button system tonight. Uh, members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to the city clerk in person or use the raised hand feature online to request to speak, star nine in your telephone. Location and online meeting details are available on council agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the show captions button. Comments on matters not on the agenda or related to uh, pres the presentation uh, agenda item must be submitted prior to the time I call the item for oral communications. Comments on agenda items must be submitted prior to the time I close the public hearing on that agenda item. Speakers are requested to keep their comments to no more than three minutes, and time limits will be strictly enforced. Guidelines are posted on the city's website and on the council meeting agenda. First up, please join me in a salute to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Next is roll call. City Clerk, may we please have roll call? Mayor Klein. Present. Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Present. Councilmember <laughs> Melton. Present. Councilmember Cisneros. Present. Councilmember Dean. Councilmember Mellinger. Present. Councilmember Sell. Present. Six present. Councilmember Dean is absent. Thank you. And please note for the record that that is an excused absence. Uh, next, uh, Vice Mayor, can we please have the closed session report? Nothing to report, Mayor. On the item. On the. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> on the close. Uh, on the close session uh, item, public employee appointment. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next is a special order of the day for Black History Month. Let me come up to the lectern. 
Before we begin tonight's meeting, we have a special recognition in honor of Black History Month. February is nationally recognized as Black History Month across the United States. This year marks the 48th anniversary of President Ford's official declaration of the month of February. Joining us tonight in honor of that celebration is Jeremiah Leinberger, sorry, um, from Development Associate for the African American Community Service Organ Agency. Come forward, Jeremiah. And Lisa, Lisa Riviere, uh, Vice Chair of the Housing and Human Services Commission, joining us on Zoom. Jeremiah, would you like to say a few words? Thank you, Mary. Larry, Larry Klein and city council members. Hello, my name is Jeremiah Leimberger, Development Associate at the African American Community Service Agency. On behalf of our Executive Director, Milan Ballantin, and Team AACSA, Happy Black History Month. The AACSA was founded in 1978 to serve Santa Clara County. The mission is providing quality education, cultural, social, and recreational programs, services, and activities in order to keep going and straighten the African-American identity culture, values, traditions, knowledge, family life, and the heart. That's all of our programs. AACSA was recently just celebrated Dr. Martin Luther King Day by hosting our 44th annual MLK luncheon at San Jose State University for the first time. At our event, we held over 600 people that included sponsors, elective officials, community members, and most importantly, students. This past weekend, we'd like to also acknowledge our Get Lifted Black History kickoff event that was hosted at AACSA this past Saturday which also held a keynote speaker, Latasha Brown, the CEO of Black Voters Matters, with also the moderator CEO of Jack and Joe Foundation. AACSA does remarkable work to help the community feel safe and confident, and we want to thank everyone for your guys' support. And as Milan Ballantin, our executive director, would say, be the light. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremiah. Lisa, would you like to say a few words? Yes, good evening. Thank you, Mayor Klein and council members. My name is Lisa and my family and I have been residents in the city of Sunnyvale for over 45 years. And I appreciate the honor and invitation to address the community today in honor of Black History Month. I'm also a uh, board member of the uh, African-American uh, Santa Clara County Alliance of Black Educators, where we recently have hosted the 35th annual, um, annual student recognition program honoring educators and members of the community and over 400 students this past year at Santa Clara University, where I'm also an alumni as well, and have the privilege and honor of growing up in Sunnyvale and attending Sunnyvale schools um, and in the education field for a little over 14 years. I also have the um, the gratitude and honor of uh, connecting with the commissioners in the Health, Housing and Human Services Commission, and as well as um, the honor of working with uh, across the, um, the years, our summer volunteer team program, and as a volunteer with members of my family as well, um, and many members of the community. Um, also, in attending Sunnyvale schools, um, I'm honored to hear about the inspiring initiatives about the uh, the summer feeding programs for students who uh, will eat uh, free and reduced lunch over the, the summer as well as during the school year, which reminds me of Martin Luther King's uh, overall purpose in, of education, including intelligence and character, and the idea of education um, involving the dignity and equality um, that we see in many of the initiatives in Sunnyvale, uh, whether it's the uh, Sunnyvale Community Services or supporting the unhoused or many of the building projects, which involve building bridges among communities, um, as among, amongst uh, many of the board and commission members 
have uh, contributed to as well. So we'd just like to say uh, thank you as well for the, the opportunity to address today and to honor um, whether you're a new resident to the Sunnyvale community or a longtime resident, um, your contributions, whether as a, a professional or a caregiver or a member of the community or a student, um, definitely being able to continue to contribute as uh, we move ahead and uh, pledge to continue to bridge the equality and inclusive and, and safe community of Sunnyvale. Um, thanking you for the opportunity to be able to continue to serve and um, all the efforts of our council members and members of the Sunnyvale community. Thank you, Lisa. And, and Lisa, I just wanna thank you for your, your service to the community, both in Sunnyvale and countywide. And of course, you know, Jeremiah, thank you for everything that AACSA has been doing, working on equity, working on, you know, uplifting, you know, black residents, black businesses, uh, and helping, you know, being that helping hand. I, I really enjoyed Dr. King's celebration uh, uh, last month. And, you know, for me, what, you know, Milan and, and the whole organization has really been making a difference in the South Bay for so many years now. And, you know, it, it, you should be very proud of, of what your volunteers have been able to accomplish. And, you know, the new building is fantastic. So, so happy to see, you know, you continue to grow and, and have that impact in our community. Um, when first recognizing this month during the U.S. Bicentennial, President Ford reached out to the nation, encouraging us to seize opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history. Since then, this month has expanded beyond the educational institutions as is now recognized in the arts and business sectors as well. And each year, the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History designates a theme. The theme for 2024 is African-Americans and the Arts. The Sunnyvale Library invites you to pick something from the theme book list at the library on display. Um, our library will also be hosting several events this month. Uh, Adult Appetite, Black-Eyed Peas in the African Diaspora with Mariah Rose Marie on Saturday, February 17th from 12 noon uh, to 1 p.m. Join Mariah Rose as they show us how to make kunde, uh, a Kenyan stew. Uh, West African music with Keenan Webster on Sunday, February 25th from 4 to 5 p.m. Keenan will perform a, on a multiple variety of, of instruments. Teen Create, Black History Month-inspired mosaic paintings on Monday, February 26th from 4 to 5 p.m. for grades 6 through 12. And a puppet show, Anansi the Spider on Thursday, February 29th from 7 p.m. to 7.25 p.m. for children of all ages. So please visit the city, the city Library's webpage for a full description and details of each of these events. We hope to see you there. And so finally, in recognition for all the contributions of our Black community members and the long history they have in our nation, I proudly, on behalf of the Sunnyvale City Council, I proudly proclaim February as Black History Month in the, sun, in the city of Sunnyvale. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next is oral communications. Members of the public will now have an opportunity to address council on topics not listed on tonight's agenda. 
Uh, this section is limited to 15 minutes and may be extended or continued after the general business section. Individuals are limited to one appearance with a maximum up to three minutes per speaker. A reminder to the public, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk, raise your digital hand now, or dial star nine on your telephone if you wish to address council. I will call members of the public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. As stated at the beginning of this meeting, this council meeting is considered a limited pub public forum and council can regulate the time, place, and manner of speech. Speaker comments during oral communications must be limited to matters within the city council's authority to address, generally referred to as council's subject matter jurisdiction. If a speaker does not speak to a matter within the council's subject matter jurisdiction, the presiding officer will rule the speaker out of order to allow city council to conduct its business in a reasonably efficient manner and to protect, and to protect the rights of other speakers. The presiding officer will not rule the speaker out of order because the presiding officer disagrees with the content of the speaker's speech. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. Um, I have, oh, actually, before we get to the public, uh, Vice Mayor Srinivasan yeah. has two announcements. Thank you, Mayor. Sunnyvale 2nd, 2023, 2024, uh, drive electric event is here. Upgrading to an electric vehicle can help the climate and your wallet. Sunnyvale's drive electric program provides an opportunity for community members to explore EVs. The webinar Electric Vehicle Financial Incentives Clinic will take place on Thursday, February 22nd from 7 to 8 p.m. This information packed free workshop is available in Spanish and English. You will receive help purchasing an EV by learning about many financial assistance programs for income qualifying residents. More guidance to apply to EV assistance programs are available by opting in, opting for a free consulting in the post event survey. To register and learn more about Sunnyvale's drive electric program and future events, visit sunnyvale.ca.gov and search drive electric or email green at sunnyvale.ca.gov. The next announcement, sustainability speaker series event. Sunnyvale sustainability speaker series is back. Three talks are lined up for this year with the theme of water in a changing climate. This series includes talks on how our changing climate impacts our water systems and what we can do for a more resilient future. Our second event is microplastics, macro problems. Join us via webinar tomorrow, Wednesday, February 7th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. to learn about how plastics impact our health and environment. Register via sunnyvale.ca.gov and search for sustainability speaker series or contact city staff at 408-730-7717 or email to green at sunnyvale.ca.gov. That's the, the announcement. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Um, I have no speaker cards in person. City Clerk, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item under oral communications? 
Yes, Mayor. First up is Allison G, followed by Andrea W. Allison, you've been unmuted and you have three minutes to address the city council. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, uh, Mayor and Vice Mayor of the Sunnyvale City Council. I wanted to just take this opportunity to speak in support of uh, the item in front of you, uh, not for tonight, but um, in general um, for supporting the PG&E right-of-way um, conversion into park uh, land for the city. Um, these plots uh, here in the Cherry Chase neighborhood have been underutilized, uh, locked up, um, and are you know, kind of a blight uh, in the in the area without um, having really any attention. Um, and they represent a really wonderful opportunity um, coming with support from PG&E as well as from the Sunnyvale Urban Forest Association to convert uh, these areas into parkland. Um, was, as we look forward to continued climate change, anything that we can do to um, have more uh, greenery, uh, help pull carbon out of the air is, of course, important uh, to say nothing of, you know, increased property values around the um, specific areas where these uh, sort of parklets would be. Um, certainly a open area for people to walk through the Cherry Chase neighborhood uh, to have children playing, um, to be able to walk dogs. Um, these are all really wonderful uh, opportunities that really enhance um, the, the life for residents in Sunnyvale and specifically those here in the Cherry Chase neighborhood. So I appreciate your time this evening and uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Next up is Andrea W. followed by Courtney Jansen. Andrea, you've been unmuted and you have three minutes to address the city council. Uh, thank you. I had planned to be there tonight in person, but unfortunately that was not possible. My plea once again is to urge you to place the, sunny, the Sustainability Commission study issue ESD 2401, evaluate the use of artificial turf versus living ground covers at the top of your list for funding considerations. I believe by being better educated on the differences between natural ground covers and artificial, artificial turf and truly understanding all the negatives associated with artificial turf, you'll be able to make better decisions for Sunnyvale, which will help to achieve our city's climate and sustainability goals. Banning artificial turf is the right thing to do and directly aligns with the city's climate action plan. If a study issue is the only means by which you will all truly understand how bad artificial turf is, then it should be done. And I can't help but mention once again that until the city is convinced of the negative impact of artificial turf, the city council will come to the conclusion that a, a moratorium should be instituted until, until all the facts are out, at least put a stop to people putting all this plastic on their lawns. Turf manufacturers and salespeople are doing a very good job of selling this toxic material to homeowners who think they are making a good choice, but are not aware of all the negative impacts this is having on us all. No one really needs plastic green lawns where there are other more natural, sustainable, and healthy choices. 
I would love for Sunnyvale to be a leader in the area of climate control and sustainability. This would be a great first step. Let's add Sunnyvale to the list of cities that are ahead of the curve on all this plastic pollution. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Next up is Courtney J. Courtney, you've been unmuted and you have three minutes to address the city council. Great. Thank you very much. Good evening, council members. Um, apologies that I could not be there in person. It looks nice and quiet. But tonight I wanted to talk about the environment, specifically two things. First, as you hopefully recall, in public comment at the January 23rd council meeting, Stephen Meyer spoke to oppose the city's legal efforts regarding the case, San Francisco Baykeeper versus City of Sunnyvale. After the meeting, I went and did some additional reading, and I want to say that Mr. Meyer is 100% correct. This past Sunday, I walked over to Calabasas Creek in the rainstorm. There was, obviously, a lot of water in the creek. I have seen kids playing at the edge of the creek and people who let their dogs run through the creek. These creeks, regardless of whether or not they run dry, are a critical part of our ecosystem and our community, and the city must address the underlying problems that allow raw sewage into these creeks. With the narrow 2023 U.S. Supreme Court ruling, it may be legally permissible to spend taxpayer money to argue that the Clean Water Act does not apply to these creeks, but it is absolutely not morally permissible, especially not for a city that professes a deep commitment to sustainability. I'm asking the city to drop this lawsuit. You have better things to spend our money on, and you have better things to do. Speaking of better things to do, that brings me to my second comment for tonight. I would also like to urge you again to fund study issue ESD 2401 on artificial turf. Council member Srinivasan tonight just highlighted the coming microplastics talk as part of the sustainability speaker series. Artificial turf has been documented to be a significant contributor to the microplastic problem. A quick statistic to take home, each artificial turf field loses up to 0.8% of its blades annually. That means that one artificial turf field contributes between 200 and 3,200 pounds of plastic waste to our environment each year. Additionally, you may require from the October City Council meeting, over 300 Sunnyvale residents signed a petition to keep artificial turf out of Lakewood Park. You owe it to those residents, and actually you owe it to all of your residents, to invest in this study to fully quantify the negative impacts of artificial turf and to identify natural living alternatives. And one final note, I also support the study session on the PG&E plots in Cherry Chase neighborhood. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Mayor, that was the final public speaker for oral communications. Okay, I will go ahead and close oral communications. Um, next up is our consent calendar. One second. Um, I will open and, and let, um, I will be pulling item 1G, uh, but I'll go ahead and open public comment on the consent calendar items. Uh, members of the public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk, raise your digital hand now, or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call on members of the public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no speaker cards on consent calendar items. City Clerk, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on consent calendar items? No, Mayor. Okay. Uh, Council Member Mellinger. Pull 1F. Thank you. Any other items to be pulled? No. Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Make a motion uh, to approve the consent calendar without 1F and 1G. Thank you. Is there a second? 
Councilmember Melton. Second. Thank you. City Clerk, I'll ask you, are we doing a digital, are we doing the... So council members, we get to use, you get to use your new voting system tonight. So you will see in front of you three flashing lights. You have an option of yes, no, or abstain. Interesting. All right. And then if you look at your screen, you will see the results. The motion carries 6-0 with council member Dean absent. <laughs> very, very good. And I'm glad I'm glad we waited for the the spiffy version. So thank you, David, for all that hard work. Um, let's go ahead and take items one F and one G. Uh, now let's go ahead and first we'll uh, do item one F, item twenty four dash zero one eight six, amend an existing contract in the amount of four hundred nineteen thousand dollars with Solitude Lake Management LLC, DBA Aquatic Environments for on-call maintenance of vegetation for the water pollution control plant ponds for not to exceed amount $83,000. Um, does staff have any comments first on this item? And I'll, and I'll then take it to Councilmember Mellinger. Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Uh, I did email staff about this this afternoon, um, and I had some questions. Uh, so part of this item uh, for vegetation control on the levees and around the water pollution control plant is going to involve the spraying of herbicides and the application of herbicides. Um, and my concern was about uh, the possibility of herbicide runoff into the treatment ponds um, and what would be, you know, what are the herbicides being used um, what is actually going to happen? You know, are they designed to break down in water? How does that work? Um, what safeguards are we taking? Thank you, um, Councilmember Mellinger. Um, this is a project that we are, um, uh, which basically the herbicide is one portion of the total contract. Um, the other portions of the contract involves mechanical vegetation removal. Um, and also cleaning of vegetation. So the herbicide portion, um, obviously these being treatment ponds, that means they actually have biology that helps us in the wastewater treatment. We are very cognizant of the impacts of herbicides on the biology. So um, one of the specific contract requirements is uh, to use herbicides that are pre-approved um, and are safe um, for the wastewater um, that basically comes in contact with the herbicide. So there are specific, um, uh, you know, pre-approved uh, herbicides like Aquapro, Aquamaster, uh, Rodeo, and other ones. And these are basically, they're in uh, strict compliance with the California Department of Pesticide Regulation. Uh, also, um, the prior to treatment, the contractor who is going to apply uh, this herbicide um, is, is basically a licensed pest control advisor. Um, so, and then um, there's a qualified applicator who actually applies this. Um, so all those are taken into account before we actually uh, approve the herbicide that actually goes in there. And then the herbicide is only applied during low wind events um, so that the herbicide is basically not dispersed um, and they are limited to the pond levy roads. So they do not, do not spray adjacent to the bay 
or any of the fish and wildlife property of the U.S. waters. All right, that's uh, very helpful. Very helpful information. I guess my other question is, you know, how shall I phrase this? Do we know what these herbicides are going to break down to in the water? You know, are we doing uh, are we doing testing before we release the fully treated water from the ponds into the bay? How does that work? Yeah, so basically this herbicide is pre-approved to be able to use to be able to be used safely in this wastewater. So they do break down and they do not impact any of our biology, nor do they provide any kind of toxic uh, impacts to the wastewater that's released after treatment. Um, there are other uh, tests that we also do uh, in order to test for toxicity of our wastewater that's discharged into the bay. Um, and we know that from that from prior testing, um, pre-approved herbicides do not impact wastewater in any adverse fashion. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Chinakabla. Thank you. Thank you. Um, at this time, I see no other questions. So I'll go ahead and open the public hearing on item 1F. Members of public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk. Use the raised hand feature now or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call members of public participating in person first. And then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphones when it's their turn to address council. Uh, speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no in-person speaker cards. City Clerk, are there any remote participants wishing to speak on item 1F? No, Mayor. I'll close the public hearing and bring it back to Council. Uh, Council Member Mellinger? Move 1F. Thank you. Uh, Council Member Melton? Second. Thank you. And that's st staff recommendation? Yes. Thank you. Um, City Clerk, can you please conduct the vote? Okay, council members, you should be able to vote on your voting pad now. Can I just say how wonderful click how wonderfully clicky these buttons are? <laughs> the motion carries six zero with council member Dean absent. Thank you. Um, and with that, we'll go on to one G. And so one G was uh, the code of ethics and there's several things. First, I just wanted to encourage all of council to read through it. I know we went through it at the beginning of the year, uh, but the second reason I pulled this up was because I've had uh, several discussions with the city attorney talking about additional things that we could be doing regarding the Zoom bombing. Uh, and so there were, let's say, suggested wording that could be added to this. So, you know, what we what we approved back in beginning of January has been reviewed by by all of our boards and commissions. Um, so I think you know ultimately we need to finalize that tonight and just kind of uh, make sure that that we approve um, we basically approve that. Uh, but the but the big thing is there's a slight addition that I'm hoping um, so that the city clerk can pull up the, that wording. Um, that in discussions with the city attorney and with the, does the city attorney have any comments about about the presentation or at least the the additional wording that we could add at a later date um yes what we talked about was uh giving a warning so currently it says that members of the public who do not follow proper conduct after a warning may be barred from further testimony and so 
the idea is that the warning would be given at the beginning. This would just apply to remote public comment, would be given at the beginning. And if a commenter is disrupting the meeting, uh, essentially by willfully speaking on an off-topic item um, that they can be ruled out of order and they won't get another chance to speak um, because they, they have essentially received the warning already at the beginning. And, and, and I appreciate that. I know it's, you know, we, depending on the meeting over the last six months, we've had, you know, ups and downs as far as people um, not not listening, not not speaking on topic, um, being disruptive, and and ultimately, you know, the big thing is it was trying to find at least a way. You know, ultimately, we're supposed to have warned, you know, stop their stop the speech, warn them, and then restart that that timer and allow them to continue to to, to um, dispense hate within our community. And so, I appreciate you know the city attorney's uh, suggestion as far as additional wording that could be added to added to our code of ethics too. Um, and ultimately, this will, will would um, after it comes back to council, it would basically percolate through um, the different scripts that the chairs have, just to just to make it a little bit easier for them in case it happens to to give that initial warning and not have to restart. So, so it's I think it's protective of free speech, but it's basically for those people that are here, just here to disrupt the meetings. Um, I think ultimately uh, it. It's at least another tool in our toolkit as far as that's concerned. Uh, Councilmember Melton. Yeah, um, this is awesome. Thank you, Mayor Klein. Uh, and thank you, Rebecca, city attorney, for working on this language. I guess um, it doesn't matter, but I'm a little unclear as to whether we can ram through the language that I just saw tonight or it's going to have to come back, Rebecca. I see the mayor shaking his head, but yeah. I, I think it should come back because, yeah. Fine. Uh, that's fine. I love the language. Great job. Um, when it comes back, Rebecca, the only quirky little question, and once again, I support this a thousand percent, is that this document is the Code of Ethics and Conduct for Elected and Appointed Officials, which does not include members of the public, yet we have sort of this contractual language that is sort of binding on members of the public. Once again, I support the language completely and we have to have the rules written down somewhere. But when you bring back an RTC, Rebecca, if you could just reconcile that for me. I hope my question is clear. Um, I can follow up with you later um, well, on that. All right, that's <laughs> wonderful. Once again, great job. Thank you, Mayor Klein and Rebecca. Thank you. Councilmember Mellinger. Yes, Mr. Mayor. Um, I just One, wanted to say- Go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to say that I am uh, very appreciative of this proposed language change, and I look forward to having the opportunity to adopt it in the near future. It has always struck me as odd that when someone has shown up uh, spewing profanities and vulgarities, we feel the need to give them a second chance. Um, it's one thing if someone's wandering off topic. It's quite another uh, with some of the examples we've seen in the past few months. Uh, so looking forward to, we'll be supporting the staff recommendation, but also looking forward to having this modification in the near future. Thank you. City Clerk. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that the boards and commissions reviewed the code prior to the change council made on January 9th. Um, the, the change that council made on January 9th has been communicated to boards and commissions. And so far I have not received anything other than, you know, questions of exactly how they implement it. Um, and then 
should when this language additional language comes back one if that is implemented or any changes that'll be communicated to boards and commissions and then of course their annual review will include the latest version thank you city clerk i see no other questions or comments from council i will open the public hearing on this item um, item 1G, uh, members of the public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk. Use the raised hand feature now or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call members of the public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no in-person speaker cards. Uh, city clerk, are there any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? No, mayor. Thank you. I'll close the public hearing on item 1G and bring it back to council for a motion. Council member Srinivasan. I move approving 1G. And can you add a friendly amendment to, to also direct staff to bring additional language at a future date? Yeah. Thank you. Um, council member Melton. Second. Thank you. Uh, any other comments, vice mayor? Okay. Uh, City Clerk, can you please conduct the vote? I'll do that. The motion carries 6-0 with Councilmember Dean absent. Thank you very much. Uh, we will now move on to our general business. As stated at the beginning of the meeting, this council meeting is considered a limited public forum and the council uh, can regulate the time, place, and manner of speech. Speaker comments during public hearing items must be limited to the agenda item being considered by council. If a speaker does not comply, the presiding officer will rule the speaker out of order to allow the city council to conduct its business in a reasonably efficient manner and protect the rights of other speakers. The presiding officer will not rule speech out of order because the presiding officer disagrees with the content of a speaker's speech. Uh, our first item tonight is item 24-0069, introduce an ordinance to amend section 16.62.330, installation of manufactured, sec manufactured home section with floodplain management chapter of chapter 16.62, floodplain management of title 16. Is there a staff report? Good evening, Mr. Mayor and City Council. I don't have a formal PowerPoint, but I do have some remarks that I'd like to share with you this evening. So I'm Jennifer Ng. I'm the Assistant Director of Public Works. You've seen me a few times. <laughs> um, so an ordinance revision for Chapter 1662, uh, which is the floodplain management chapter of the Meaning Code, was approved by the City Council in September of 2023, just passed. And this was to get ready for uh, every five-year certification effort that the city goes through with FEMA for our CRS program, which is our vehicle that results um, in ending up in Sunnyvale residents being eligible for a floodplain insurance discount. So prior to taking this ordinance revision to council in September, city staff had coordinated the ordinance changes with the State Department of Water Resources, and they are our liaison between the cities and our FEMA insurance specialist staff who do the certification review. We had the certification review in November, and during that review, it was daylighted that language related to elevating manufactured homes was not included in the ordinance update that we took in September. This language is necessary for our community to maintain class eight or better CRS rating. Um, as a reminder, currently Sunnyvale is class seven, which does translate to a 15% insurance discount. Um, so that is one class better than the class eight, and we do want to keep that class seven. 
So this ordinance change affects manufactured homes, which are new, replaced, or substantially improved within the, spe the special flood hazard area, but outside of a mobile home park. And that's because mobile home parks are governed by the state of California. So this concludes my remarks tonight. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions and thank you. Thank you very much. Um, quick question, uh, since no council questions. So you talked about, you know, basically if they're improved to a large degree, what's the threshold for that? What's, you know, how, how is that determined from a planning standpoint uh, as far as at one point would they actually have to raise above the the new flood, floodplain requirements? I think it's formula-based. Um, typically, it is a 50% alteration or more. Did I get that right? Yes, Trudy's nodding her head. Thank you very much. And it, so, so I appreciate that, and I appreciate, you know, the staff report laying out how the state regulates mobile home communities, and, you know, the ADUs are uh, with well, ADUs and other, let's say, um, individual mobile home um, mobile homes that are placed on properties outside of mobile home parks are are under our purveyance. So I think it was very clear from a staff standpoint, and whatever we can do to continue the the discount um, from an insurance standpoint is what we should be doing as a city. Um, I see no other comments or questions from council. I will open the public hearing on this item. Members of the public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk. Raise your digital hand now or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call members of public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no in-person speaker card. City clerk, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? No, Mayor. I will close the public hearing and bring it back to council. Uh, Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thanks, Mayor. I'm ready with a motion when you are. Go right ahead. I rise with a motion for alternative one. Thank you. Councilmember Mellinger. Second. Thank you. To your motion. Yeah, very briefly. Great job by public works staff. Jennifer, nice presentation. Uh, great way to react to the review that came from the state of California. We want to keep class seven. Um, so this is a very nice tune up of the language necessary to get to where we want to be. Great job by our professional staff. Please vote yes. Thank you. Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. Thanks, uh, Council Member Melton, for making the motion. Thanks, uh, staff, for keeping up with the state uh, initiatives. And then, as uh, Council Member Melton said, we need to be better than eight, if not seven, <laughs> so to keep our uh, residents uh, safe. Thank you very much. I will be voting yes. Thank you. And I'll also be voting yes. And with that, City Clerk, please read the ordinance title and conduct a vote. An ordinance of the City Council of the City of Sunnyvale amending section 16.62.330 installation of manufactured homes of chapter 16.62 flood plain management of title 16 buildings and construction of the Sunnyvale Municipal Code. And your voting pads are ready for you. The motion carries six to zero with council member Dean absent. Thank you, city clerk. Our next item is item 24-0255, adopt positions on state and local ballot measures for the March 5th, 2024 election. Is there a staff report? Yes, good evening, mayor, council members, Michelle Zarai, senior management analyst in the office of the city manager. 
So this report presents council with the opportunity to take positions on state and local measures for the March 5th ballot. Um, as outlined in council policy, staff has provided an analysis and position recommendations on those ballot measures that directly impact city business. Uh, city business is defined by policy as all matters directly related to service delivery and otherwise contributing to the city's operational success. So staff recommendations may include support, oppose, um, no staff recommendation or take no position. So while the meaning of support and oppose are clear, no staff recommendation means that the measure does not impact city business as defining council policy. Take no position means that despite the measure's ability to impact city business, staff may recommend that council abstain from taking a position. This recommendation to remain neutral on an issue or may, may be made for a variety of reasons. For example, unclear ballot language or unclear neutral outcome as it impacts city business. Uh, there is no fiscal impact in the recommended actions tonight. As required by state law, no public funds have been or will be used to campaign for or against any of these measures. Public resources may be used to adopt a position on a measure as long as the position is taken at an open and public meeting where all perspectives have the opportunity to be heard. So tonight, staff is recommending that council take the following positions. A take no position on Proposition 1, authorizes $6.38 billion in bonds to build mental health treatment facilities for those with mental health and substance use challenges, provides housing for homeless legislative statute, and a support position on Measure C, Sunnyvale School District school bonds. The various departments that contributed to the analysis are here tonight to help answer any questions that you may have. That concludes my staff report. Thank you very much. Uh, first up is Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. So one question. Um, so I note that on measure one, the position is not no recommendation. It's take no position. Um, can staff outline why they feel it would be best for us not to take a position on measure one? Yes, Councilmember Mellinger, Trudy Ryan, Community Development Director. Um, we're not clear about what would happen to local funding with the county. So there are some provisions in the um, in the write-up that explain that some money that's currently coming to the county will no longer come to the county, but we don't know how much. Um, we also don't know what the strings are to be uh, determined in the future about how the money should be spent. So for the county, for our county to keep up the same level of service, um, uh, it, it might not be possible because we don't know if we would be competitive to receive the, this larger pool of money that is partly created from the bond, but also partly created from revenue sources that we previously um, would have been receiving in our county. Thank you very much, Ms. Ryan. I'm going to telegraph that I have some concerns about uh, Prop 1. Um, I've read the League of Women Voters analysis, and the League of Women Voters came down on that as an oppose. Um does staff have any reason, would staff have any reason to be concerned by council taking an opposed position on measure one? I think that would be entirely up to the council. We would not have a position. It would not give you any sort of hard part. Great. All right. Thank you. That does it for my questions. <clears throat> thank you very much. 
I see no further questions from council. Uh, let's go ahead and open the public hearing on this item. Members of the public wishing to address council, please say, submit a speaker card to the city clerk. Raise your digital hand now or dial star nine in your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call on members of the public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone. When it's their turn to address council, speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have two speaker cards. First up is Peggy S., followed by Michael G. Good evening, Mayor Klein, council members. My name is Peggy Shen Brewster. Thank you for your ongoing support of our Sunnyvale residents and the education of our students. I'm here for, to ask you as a council to adopt a position in support of Measure C and to further encourage Sunnyvale residents within the Sunnyvale School District attendance boundaries to vote yes on Measure C on March 5th or before as ballots are already in our mailboxes. I thank Mayor Klein and Councilmember Sell for signing the argument in favor of the measure and also thank every one of you, including Councilmember Dean, um, for personally endorsing Sunnyvale um, School District Bond Measure C. These funds are necessary to keep our public school facilities safe, accessible, and modern. As a proud parent of Sunnyvale School District children, I appreciate you, our city's leadership, and your partnership in ensuring quality school facilities for all Sunnyvale residents. The education of our children is the foundation of our society, and together we can ensure that this foundation is strong for the entire community. Thank you for your support of Sunnyvale School District Bond Measure C. Thank you. Uh, next up is Michael G. Good evening. I'm Mike Gallagher. I'm the superintendent of schools for Sunnyvale School District. Uh, we are proud of the ongoing support Sunnyvale consistently demonstrates for our schools and for our students. And we're proud of the many ways that we've partnered with the city over the years, including open space agreement, and the Columbia Neighborhood Center, just to name a couple. Um, these partnerships will be augmented by the passage of Measure C. Um, also I'd like to thank the mayor for coming to our school board meeting uh, last week. We are celebrating the 125th anniversary of Sunnyvale School District, um, actually this week, and we'll be celebrating for, uh, for the rest of the year. Um, as uh, Peggy said, our students deserve safe, modern facilities. We conducted a, service, a survey before placing this on the ballot um, and designed a measure that meets community interests, including items such as accessibility for all students and families and for facilities for counseling and other social emotional supports for our students. Sunnyvale School District has received uh, consistently received triple A ratings at each of its previous bond issuances, and that effectively lowers the tax rate for our uh, residents. Um, we're proud of what we've done to maintain our facilities. If you look at Ellis Elementary School, Bishop and Lakewood, the last several schools we've modernized, you'll see the type of work and the responsible way that we've um, dealt with taxpayer dollars. And we're excited that Sunnyvale Middle School will be next. Um, we do have one of the lowest tax rates among the county in, um, in the county among elementary school districts. And we will remain in the bottom third um, with this measure. Um, and finally, I should say that Measure C aligns with the Comprehensive Facilities Master Plan uh, developed with considerable community input just two years ago. So again, I thank you for your ongoing support of our schools and for our community support of our schools and our children. Thank you very much. That was my last speaker card for in-person. Uh, City Clerk, are there any remote speakers wishing to speak on this item? No, Mayor. 
Okay, I'll go ahead and close the public hearing and bring it back to council for any final comments or motion. Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I'm going to suggest that we do this by two motions, um, right and on. I would like to move a position of support on Measure C. Thank you. Councilmember Melton. Oh, thank you. Um, I'll second that, but I also had a couple of questions oh. for staff, So, okay. but I'm happy to... Second, the motion. Um, are you questions on Measure C or Prop One? Let's let's just go ahead with questions before. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Count yeah. Oh motion. no, I have no questions about Measure C. Rock solid support. <laughs> that one's going to pass seven to zero. But um, I, I had sort of a separate um, one comment and one question. Michelle, great staff report. Here's something that you always do that I just want to say out loud. Please continue to list all of the ballot measures. It's a short list this time, but it'll be longer in the fall like it always is. So by listing them all, it gets everything covered in the Brown Act so council can discuss whatever it wants to. It's not precluded from discussing anything. Um, and then Trudy on um, the other one, uh, the uh, Prop 1, um, I don't know if you could do this extemporaneously. What what would Prop 1 have to say, in your opinion, or staff recommendation to be support? I'm not sure that it's the proposition itself, um, but all of the all of the information about what is this effect locally and what are what are the um it, it, in terms of funding what would happen to our county funding yeah. and um also um what what share would we potentially be getting right what would be, be what would be the basis for determining how much gets spent and sent to the counties versus what the state's going to use for state facilities and are there um are some of the modifications to the rules on how the money has to be spent? Is that if that could be more clear? Yeah. So it's not a, a, a short answer. Understood. Right. Thank you, Trudy. I, I really appreciate that. Um, I'll, I'll just send a signal of my own when we get to, to prop one. Um, I'm glad that we're deciding to do these as two separate motions. I think that's the right course of action. Based on Councilmember Mellinger's prompt, I was just speed reading the right up from the League of Women's Voters, and I get where they're coming from. Um, I would agree that um, Prop 1 could use greater certainty in terms of the desired outcomes and the flow of dollars. And while not perfect, um, I find myself comfortable with the staff recommendation on Prop 1, and that's um, probably how I'll vote, but also interested in the upcoming discussion. As for the Motion that's on the floor right now, Measure C, rock solid support. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you, Council Member. Council Member Sell. Uh, Mr. Oh, Mayor. Your, uh, your motion. <laughs> thank, thank you. Are, one second. Are there questions or? Uh, I was going to make a comment. Advocacy. Um, and question, Council Member Cisneros. Oh, no, actually. Okay. Thank you. To your motion. Uh, thank you very much, much Mr. Mayor. Um, this is a no-brainer. Um, ensuring that Sunnyvale children continue to have access to excellent school facilities and a quality education is just tremendously important for our community. It's important for the city. It's important for maintaining quality of life for our residents. It's important for main keeping Sunnyvale as a desirable place to live, work, and play. Um, 
this is something that I hope passes with unanimous support, and I hope it passes with flying colors in March. Please vote yes. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Sell. I want to say that um volunteered two decades in the schools, and I volunteered on many of the um, measure to help the schools, and all that funds that the community contributes to the schools shows up everywhere. It shows up in our quality neighborhoods, our desirable neighborhoods in Sunnyvale. It shows up in the next generation, which will have um, educational opportunities and having great facilities um, helps with the education. And um, so in every facet of every way in many of our uh, lives and our community education um, is a theme that it uplifts our whole community. So investment in this way is very beneficial to all facets of our community. Thank you. Uh, next up is Vice Mayor Shreen Abbasan. Yeah, I will be strongly supporting this <laughs> motion. Uh, education for our children are the future. Uh, this is the investment we need to make, our community has to make. So I will be voting yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And I'll also be strongly supporting this, um, you know, our schools. And so first, congratulations to Sunnyvale School District on 125 years. Uh, and ultimately, you know, it's like, starting the school district before the city was incorporated in 1912 is just pretty amazing. But a lot of the buildings are, you know, aging. They've served the Sunnyvale School District for over 60 years now. And so creating safe, modern, um, successful facilities to make sure that, that our children have um, viable education, and especially from an elementary middle school, is critical to give them that that hand up and making sure that, you know, they, they have that career and life journey that, that our teachers and our parents are, are hoping for them to have. And I think giving them appropriate facilities is, is the least that we can do. So I just want to thank, um, thank those advocates and, um, allowing me to, to work on the rebuttal, uh, to the, to the opposition. And I think, you know, this will be passing, but I, I, I'm, Fairly, fairly certain that our parents, our residents want good school districts. And this is the one school district that's completely within Sunnyvale. And so, so to me, you know, this is a vote for Sunnyvale at the end of the day. Um, and with that, um, city clerk, please vote. The motion carries six to zero with Councilmember Dean absent. Thank you. Vice Mayor Srinivasan, do you have a comment? No. Is there any other motions on prop propositions? Seeing none, um, Councilmember Mellinger. Does take no position require a motion? It should, we should, since it was a staff, it was a staff recommendation. We, we should officially, you know, since they brought it forth to us to actually have this. Um, I will move that we take no position on Prop 1. I do have concerns about this, but thank it's sufficiently vague that I'll just leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Cisneros. Oh, so, sorry. Council Mom, Member oh, sorry. Yeah, I was all 
with all the buttons. Sorry. Um, yeah, I second that. And okay. for the, I feel the same as my colleague here. Okay. Uh, to your motion. Please vote yes. Okay. Uh, Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thank thank you. I'll be supporting the motion. I appreciate the the motion and the maker of the motion for doing so and the seconder. Um, here here here's how I would look at it globally and at a macro level. The need is great, and more resources are required to make an impact. The measure the the proposition is imperfect as often happens with things that are put together quickly in Sacramento. We, we all get that. Um, and as Trudy stated, and I concur with this, there are some imperfections and disclarities, but the um, resources being brought um, match the urgency of the need. And I like um, coming down on take no position as sort of the balance or tipping point between uh, what is trying to be accomplished and the imperfections of the means to accomplish it. So I think we end up in a good place on this. Thank you, colleagues. Thank you, Councilmember. Uh, Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. I'd just like to encourage the public, my colleagues, anyone listening, to do some really thorough research into this bill for the exact reasons that um, Councilmember Melton pointed out in that this is describing a great need. There is clearly a lot that needs to be done to support greater mental health access and greater resources for people in our state who desperately need it. Um, but my, from, and I still have more learning to do here, but as I'm reading it, it's not written like good public policy. And while I don't expect a lot of things to be perfect, I also think, well, if something goes wrong with this, how wrong does it go? And who's affected by this going wrong? And who will lose if this isn't written right? And where I'm, I still have more to do, more questions to ask, and I look forward to doing that in my own time. But I, I really do encourage people just to take a real close look and think about like, is this the solution that, you know, what problem is this trying to fix and how's it trying to, how's it proposing to fix it? Um, and is it needed? Is it effective? Or is it humane? So I'm, I'm okay with taking a no position here. I think, I think that's the best way to go about it because it is vaguely written and there's a lot up in the air. So, you know, I would have been okay with taking a, an opposed position at this point, but I think this is prudent and I think staff's advice is, is correct in this case. So thank you. Uh, it's a complicated issue. I'm just glad that we're grappling with it. You know, um, it's much better than ignoring it entirely. We're able to have these conversations. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, council member. Next up is vice mayor Sharina Basson. Thank you, mayor. Uh, for me, this is an incomplete solution for the right problem. So that's how I look at this. It's a correct problem. Uh, we all know uh, mental health and substance use challenges. We, uh, the state faces, but the, they should have thought about the correct solution. So I, I also like the staff recommendation that is neutral, take no position. So I will be supporting this motion. Thank you. Thank you. Council Member Sell. Um, I agree with my colleagues that what they've stated before. And I also appreciate, uh, the staff in their um, Monday morning questions, which are in the um, in the report with uh, with today's items, uh, how you went 
through and in a three paragraph summary uh, gave uh, gave me a lot more clarity on uh, why uh, you're suggesting no positions. So I wanted to thank staff for being able to summarize that with clarity. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll be supporting this motion. Uh, definitely, I, I take staff's recommendation very closely, and especially looking at the League of Women Voter language and their, and their analysis. Uh, from a Cal City standpoint, they're actually supporting, but they're asking for a lot of changes immediately in the legislation. And we all know that the legislators don't always listen and try to fix things the way we want uh, and the way they are looking at it. So, you know, for me, that that in itself, you know, rings true. And and of course, in talking to uh, Supervisor Lee, you know, the county still hasn't taken a position and they're probably not going to take a position They're there. It's it's the language at the end of the day and kind of un, unintended effects of, of what might be there. They're not sure if it's positive or negative for them. And if, you know, and they have even more of a vested interest than than Sunnyvale. So so thank you for the director of community development for her feedback. But I definitely think that, um, you know, taking no position is is the appropriate thing to do. Although lots of mayors, um, so a lot of the big city mayors are thinking that this gives them additional funds. So um, I'm happy with, with this motion as it currently stands. And with that city clerk, please conduct the vote. The motion carries six to zero with Councilmember Dean absent. Thank you. Uh, one second. Wrong document. Our next item uh, is item 24-0230, adopt a resolution amending the city's salary resolution and schedule of pay to increase the salary range for the director of Novo Workforce Services. Is there a staff report? There is. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Council Members, Tina Murphy, Director of Human Resources. The item before you tonight is to request approval to adopt a resolution amending the city's salary resolution and schedule of pay to increase the salary range for the Director of Workforce Services. Uh, Nova Workforce Services, as you know, is a city department, but it does provide services to seven Santa Clara County cities, as well as um, all of San Mateo County. So the city manager is able to make recommendations to the city council for the salary for all the department heads, with the exception of the Department of uh, Nova Workforce Services. The salary range for Nova Director is actually based on the salary cap for the federal um, Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act guidelines. Um, and so we're requesting to increase the salary range for the Director of Nova Workforce Services to align with the most recent federal salary schedule. As, and that is as follows, is to increase the minimum to $184,917 and the maximum to $221,900. And the salary for the NOVA director is funded by grants received, and this increase is included in the 23-24 budget. So Steph re recommends that council adopt alternative one, but I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you. Are there any questions of staff? First up, council member Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. I just have a quick question and then a motion if nobody has anything. Oh, I see something, so I'll hold that. Um, what happens if we don't do this? If you don't, then the salary will remain where it is currently at 176750 to 212100 And would there, so with, we're basing it on the federal guidelines, so would anything happen to the funding there? Would there be any downstream repercussions of that? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, 
okay, well, I think that our director is doing a wonderful job in Nova and it is a funded, uh, this is a funded increase and, and aligned with, uh, you know, where the funding is coming from and this is what they're recommending. It is far from me to, to say any different um, from where I'm standing. It's good to know that information, but um, yeah, I, I'll come back with the motion after questions are done. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Sell. So I had some um, Monday morning questions that you wrote up for me. And so I wanted to confirm that none of um, the NOVA director's salary comes from any of the, or NOVA comes from the city. It's all federally funded or nonprofit, correct? They receive all of their funding from grants. Okay, great. And then um, another question I asked is, um, is the uh, NOVA director um, instrumental in obtaining and distributing um, many of the grants? And um, could you summarize the magnitude of grants that um, the NOVA director brings in for the, or leads the organization to bring in for NOVA? Sure, I can um, I can address some of that. So the grant funding that's awarded to to Nova, that information it comes from several different places. Like I had mentioned earlier, the um, Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act. There are several grants that are there. Those amounts um, can range anywhere from half a million dollars upwards to almost three million dollars. There are some from the Irvine Hospitality Grant, Google Community Grant. Um, LinkedIn grants, uh, Stanford design stipends. So those are some particular ones that they have. Uh, some of the grants are for shorter time periods than others. Um, there's some that have no specific term associated with them. Uh, the interesting thing about the department is that, like I said, that they kind of raise their own funds and the director is instrumental in helping to identify which grants they will be seeking as well as uh, supervising the staff that maintain and manage those funds. And on the order of in 2023, what is the, on the order of the total magnitude of the grants? So for the, um, 2023, I believe the funds that I have here, it's uh, $13,447,153. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty big amount. It's a pretty good amount. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, council member. Uh, that was the last of council questions. I will go ahead and open up the public hearing on this item. Members of public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk, raise your digital hand now, or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call members of public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no in-person speaker cards. City clerk, are there any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? No, mayor. Okay, I will close the public hearing. Um, bring it back to council. Council member Cisneros. Yes. I move alternative one, adopt a resolution amending the city's salary resolution and schedule of pay to increase the salary range for the director of Nova Workforce Services. Thank you. Uh, council member Mellinger. Second. Thanks to your motion. I feel like this is this is something that's really in line with council's values and I'm 
I, I do hope everyone votes yes, and I'm guessing they will, but I just wanted to say it's a real honor to be able to house Nova Workforce Services within the city of Sunnyvale. Uh, they are, as was mentioned, funded by these grants. And so when we're able to house this within our city as a department, we are providing uh, additional resources just by virtue of some of this administrative work here and also giving them access to the different resources that city departments are afforded in order to do some really wonderful public facing work and having them here in Sunnyvale and so accessible to our residents is something to be celebrated. Our director does a fantastic job working with all of the many cities that this um, department covers. It is so much more than the city of Sunnyvale. And I, for one, always wish we could do more to make sure that um, the reach is even further. But this is what, what we have in the federal guidelines here, and it's fully funded. It's just a really wonderful thing to be able to show our appreciation and continue to support this organization or attaining a great director and continue to work on and expand the programs that they're running to help Sunnyvale residents and residents all around the peninsula to um, gain independence and grow their job skills and become employed. Um, and as we know, the economy has been very up and down and tumultuous. So this resource is something that has really changed people's lives in a fundamental way. It's just a wonderful thing to be a part of that and to know that we're helping that. And I do hope my colleagues vote yes for the salary increase so that we can continue to support the work. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Next up is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thanks, Mayor Klein. Um, well, Councilmember Cisneros has, um, has said it all with regards to how awesome NOVA is. The director is awesome. The staff is awesome. It's a powerhouse workforce development agency, not just for the city of Sunnyvale, but as Tina described, for many um, cities in the county. And then, oh, yeah, also the entire county of San Mateo. And um, for whoever it is that may be heading out to Washington next month on behalf of the city of Sunnyvale for advocacy, um, this is an easy story to tell to whomever it is that you're talking to about NOVA. While in the next breath, you also remind uh, the Department of Labor or our congressional representatives or whoever it may be that WIOA needs to constantly be updated to reflect the realities of costs and salary requirements here in Santa Clara County. So um, hope that message continues to be um, delivered to Washington at every opportunity. Um, NOVA is awesome and I'll be voting yes. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Next is Councilmember Sell. I just wanted to say that I will be supporting this. I clearly see that from the results of the grants that our NOVA director uh, helps the organization to obtain, that's large sums of money um, in the order of 13 million and all that going to serve people in our community and beyond our community. This has been a very difficult time in terms of you look in the newspaper and many people are being laid off. And so NOVA is there to act as a resource to help people to find jobs. And um, just so proud that uh, Sunnyvale is, be able, is able to house NOVA um, and that our city manager is able to uh, provide oversight for the director. So thank you to everyone um, involved with this. 
Thank you, Councilmember. Next is Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I will be supporting this motion. I had uh, <clears throat> direct interaction with uh, the director of uh, NOVA on a couple of projects, uh, thanks to our city manager. Uh, one is uh, something, to, now apart from the workforce services, NOVA director is uh, helped. Uh, we are working on the youth uh, employment services and then also unhoused, uh, partially employed, uh, unhoused population as such. These are critical services for not just Sunnyvale, but also for uh, Santa Clara County and San Mateo County. Uh, NOVA is doing a wonderful job. I fully support uh, the director of NOVA. So I will be happily supporting this motion. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Next is Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Uh, Mr. Carnahan, I just sent you a slide. Uh, could you put it up when you come here or when it comes to you? It might take a moment. This is from this is the from the Nova Works presentation at our strategic workshop a couple of weeks ago. And I think it shows some statistics that are uh, uh, very relevant to this discussion. Sorry, I should have thought of this a little sooner. Sorry, give me just a moment. I don't have a computer that's in Zoom that also has my email on it. Give me just <laughs> a moment. And City Manager Steffens, I actually sent it to you as well. If you've got screen share, that would work. No? Okay. Okay, give me just another <laughs> moment. Ah, here we go. So this is from the strategic workshop uh, on January 25th. Um, and one of the things it shows is just how serious the need for Nova Work services are in our region. You know, uh, the unemployment rate ticked up dramatically uh, in 2023 over 2022. The tech industry, as we all know, has been uh, substantially impacted with layoffs and contractions. I was one of the people who got laid off last year. We had, you know, over 450 businesses served, uh, over 16,000 individuals affected by layoffs, you know. And one of the things that's really impressive is when you look at the entered employment rate, for people who in Nova's programs, it's about 65%. It's a really successful uh, program. It's a really successful service. We are very lucky to have it in the city of Sunnyvale. Director Sessions has done a fantastic job and I will be enthusiastically supporting this motion. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll also be enthusiastically supporting this motion. Uh, you know, as uh, similar to Councilmember Bellinger, you know, I went through my own layoff um, last year, but but just getting the number of Warnacks um, and seeing how many layoffs are happening throughout our community, and you know, it's it, you know each each Warnack is is affecting a resident of Sunnyvale of the region, and you know what Nova Works is doing is just a fantastic job of trying to get them e into a new job, a new career. 
And what uh, Director Sessions is doing is is um, really impressive as far from a financing standpoint. You know, it's so successful that it's not just Santa Clara County; it's moved into San Mateo County. And and when we were defining the needs for our new city hall, we wanted to make sure that NovaWorks, which isn't specifically a city operation, had a place here. And I think that that was the right decision the council made at the time. I think it's it's really great to have them um, in this modern facility with computers and training and everything that they need to do to make those employee, those residents that are looking for new jobs successful. So happy to support this. Um, and with that, city clerk, please conduct a roll call or please conduct a vote. Yes. Um, yes, I believe you. There was a motion. Yes, yes there, there was a motion. So feel free to, to vote. Your pads have been activated. Councilmember Cisneros. Yes. The motion carries six to zero with Councilmember Dean absent. Thank you. And our final item is item 24-0282, adopt a resolution to approve an amendment to the housing assistance agreement for city manager Kent Steffens, extending the home loan repayment term. City manager, you have a comment? Uh, yes, thank you, Mayor. Since this item does affect my compensation, I have a conflict of interest and I'll be stepping out of the council chambers while you discuss this item. Thank you. Is there a staff report? There is. Good evening again. Um, so in December 2023, the City Council approved amending the City Manager's Employment Agreement to include modifications to uh, City Manager Kent Steffen's home loan repayment terms. And this modification would extend his repayment term from six months from separation to be equivalent to the number of months equal to his full years of city service. For example, if it were 12, year, 12 months for 12 full years of service. To implement this amendment, however, the city council will need to approve an exception to the city's mortgage assistance program, as well as an amendment to city manager Stefan's housing assistance agreement. So staff does not make any recommendation, but provides this item to facilitate discussion, and I'm available to answer any questions. Thank you. I don't see, first up is Council Member Sell. So I wanted to thank staff. I, I asked the question of uh, what were some highlights that um, the city accomplished last year uh, under the leadership of city manager Kent Steffens, and you gave um, a summary of them, and there are uh, a lot of tremendous things like the city hall, the Moffat Park specific plan, and many other things. Um, so could you give us some history of what's the benefit of this um, uh, program to, uh, since, our, it's, since it's very expensive to live in Sunnyvale and um, we wanna be able to attract the highest caliber of executive staff and um, why it's important for executive staff to live in Sunnyvale. Okay. Summarize that. 
Absolutely. So the city's housing assistance program was initially enacted in 1981. So it has been around for quite some time. And it does provide a housing um, assistance in terms of purchasing a home in the city limits for executive staff, as well as the council appointed positions of city manager and city attorney. Um, so at the time when it was created, and I believe since then, the city council has always believed that having someone living in the community, being part of the community, being readily available is beneficial to the operations of the city, as well as assisting um, for the residents, being able to be available for that and understand the, the specific needs of the community itself. Uh, so the housing assistance program really helps to recruit and retain uh, talent in those areas. So uh, I think that's probably the, the most concise uh, description that I can provide, but I'm happy to answer any other questions. Okay, now that's it. Thank you. Thank you, council member. That was my last question. I'll go ahead and open the public hearing. Members of the public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk. Raise your digital hand now or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call members of the public in, that are participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask those remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no in-person speaker card. City clerk, are, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on the side? No, Mayor. I will close the public hearing and bring it back to council. Uh, council Member Sell. Um, I would uh, like to have a motion uh, to support uh, the recommendations in um, the extension of this repayment as so, uh, alternative one. Thank you very much. Adopt a resolution amending the housing assistance agreement and, uh, for, for city manager Kent Steffens and the repayment terms of that agreement. Um, Councilmember Mellinger. Second. Thank you. To your motion. So this is my first year being a city council member, and I was just so impressed with all the accomplishments that the city has accomplished this year, which is completing City Hall under budget and seeming like on time and one of the first net zero city hall energy net zero in the country. And on top of that, like completing like Moffat Park, a very specific plan, very complex, innovative um, direction that the city will be taking uh, in the next 20 years, which will create housing, retail and industry, which, you know, helps our Silicon Valley keeping the engine of California, the economic engine of California, and many other things like in addition to striving to help the homeless and um, and also taking care of our employees with our diversity programs. Um, I have just been impressed with the organization and part of having an excellent organization is having an excellent leadership team and um, retaining all these people in Sunnyvale, uh, the city manager has been deeply involved in that, I believe. So um, this program, which uh, is uh, a encourages longevity um, for the city manager to stay with Sunnyvale, and um, each year it increases um, the time that the loan needs to be repaid. So I think it is a good decision that we move forward with this. Thank you, Council Member. 
And I'll also be supporting this motion. Uh, definitely, you know, I'll second what Councilmember Sell said about uh, the city manager and the many accomplishments over the last year. But but ultimately, you know, this he, he purchased this home 12 years ago. He's been approximately 12 years ago. He's he's been you know, active helping the city for, for that period of time. And, you know, I'm hoping that he doesn't depart anytime soon, but I do think that, that, you know, this is an incentive for him, you know, when, when that departure finally happens uh, to give him a little more flexibility to stay in the community longer. Um, but for me, you know, this, this is an important thing that, that this program overall, it it makes sure that our city leaders from a city staff standpoint are part of the city. And, you know, to me, that's that's a great benefit to to our city whenever there's issues and just being, you know, a resident and being on the ground, I think, is, is a very positive thing. So I think what what's being proposed here is giving him more flexibility based upon the many years of service that he served our city. And with that. Um, City Clerk, can you please conduct the vote? The motion carries 6-0 with Councilmember Dean absent. Thank you very much. Uh, next are Councilmember reports on activities from Intergovernmental Committee assignments. Uh, first up is Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I want to report my, <clears throat> we had a, uh, I am part of National League of Cities uh, IT and Communication uh, Committee. <clears throat> this is an advocacy committee which advocates, that takes a position on uh, IT related issues uh, and then uh, propose it to the board of NLC. We had our first meeting. Uh, the first meeting, the main main item which came up is the affordable connectivity program, which is a discounted internet connectivity for our uh, low income families. So they get uh, 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 about $30 discount per month, and then uh, about $100 on qualifying uh, devices. The, it's income based, and then uh, the time to apply is to, ends tomorrow. So I sent the email to our city manager and then a couple of organizations who directly work with our uh, uh, low income, such as Sunnyvale Community Services and Livable, sorry, Helping Giants and other organizations. So there is also, uh, we are also asked to submit a, uh, uh, advocacy for our congressman to uh, extend this program. Uh, so if anybody is interested, I can send you the link to the letter. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor. I see no other comments from council. Uh, I will go ahead and move to non-agenda items and comments. Council, uh, first up is Council Member Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. We've been hearing since uh, some recent reports in the media, we've been hearing a lot of uh, concerns from the community about paramedic and ambulance service in the city of Sunnyvale. I was wondering if at some point within the next six months or so, we could get a study session on that topic. I like that idea. Thank you. I'll talk. I'll work with the city manager. Anything else? Uh, I think that does it for me. Thank you. Thank you. Council member Melton. I'm Councilmember Mullen. Yes. Yes. 
No, I didn't. Thank I said nothing. Wonderful. Nothing. Thank you. I'm Russ. That's <laughs> awesome. City Clerk, I have a couple of um, <laughs> of uh, motions to agendize, if you could show them up on the screen. I really hope Councilmember Mellinger likes the first one, which we've probably already just decided, but it's also on paramedic services. So um, this is probably not necessary to the extent that the mayor and city manager tell us this is going to absolutely happen, but I concur with Councilmember Mellinger that this is an important topic and um, I would, I, the only additional advocacy I would have is if it's possible to do it within three months, that would be better, four months, five months, six months, but it's a conversation that needs to happen. So city clerk, if you can flip to the next one. And I'll just put the motion to agendize here on the table. So um, this would be an agenda item that would add a statement to the council policy manual that the policy of Sunnyvale City Council is for no new artificial turf fields to be installed on city property. And I'll just put that out there and see um, if anybody would like to second. Thank you, Councilmember Sell. I would like this second, but I think we had a similar vote right after the Lakewood Park thing and uh, Mullinger put in his motion. It didn't get the support, but so and would we want to do it when, or I don't know if I'll get the support. And there's a, and so to staff, there's a study issue that covers part of this also. Is that true or is it just trying to, trying to clarify? There is a study issue pending to look at artificial turf, and it goes beyond this. It would also potentially look at regulating private property, but it would affect city properties as well. Thank you. Uh, Council Member Mellinger. Question to the maker of the motion. Um, so when we did the community center about a year ago, we voted to include a small amount of artificial turf along the ponds as a goose deterrent, essentially. Um, and so I guess my question for you is, I'm not sure, you know, based on the advocacy over, we've had over the past year, I'm not sure whether I would I would vote for that again. But um, your, in your understanding of the word field, would it include that sort of small side strips or not? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I could. Uh, well, I guess it's already seconded, but. Uh, I think I I think I'm likely to be supportive of this. Thank you. Thank you. Um, City Clerk, can you please conduct a oh, so Mayor, oh, if, if it's okay, I'll, yeah. and I'll keep the advocacy light because I hate for the city attorney to have to tell me to stop talking when I go overboard on things. But um, I agree. We have a study issue in the queue on this. I totally get it. And the reason I raise this is just by listening to the community and thinking back to the vote that we took on Lakewood, which to me was completely and totally unambiguous. I feel like I understand the will of the community and the will of the council. And this is maybe a more direct path to implementing that in the community rather than doing a study issue. So that's why I made the motion and I would ask my colleagues to vote yes. So thank uh, you. Question to city staff. So for projects, so I only know of the, of the community center. Are there other projects within the city that's that have plans to use artificial turf? Um, there are future plans. So in the long range plans for the capital improvement program, 
artificial turf was considered or written into the project descriptions for three projects. And it was the three major park renovations that had lighted fields. So it was um, Fair Oaks, which is done. It was Lakewood, that's number two. And it's Ortega Park. But Ortega Park doesn't come up uh, for renovation and for like five or six years from now. Okay, but the, my my question so that's from a park stand or from a park standpoint for a project that's already being designed. Does that require additional work? The community runoff. So so it's it's does there need to be a but would ultimately there need to be a budget modification if this went forward to to look at the re reopen the design for the community center is what it comes down to. Um, I'll say maybe. Um, and again, this the motion is to agendize it. We could address that if, if you, in fact, vote to agendize this when we bring it back. Okay, thank you, and I and I appreciate appreciate that answer, uh, City Clerk, Mayor Mayor Klein. If I could just jump in with a little more um, light fact finding. So in May, um, we'll be holding the budget workshop, and every page of the budget will be on the docket for council to consider. That includes volume two, which is about 750 pages long and has all of the projects that the city manager was just talking about. I'm, I am of the belief that city council on that day can take out a Sharpie and on any page that we want to in volume two, where it says artificial turf for Ortega Park, on that day, we can just strike out artificial turf. So I believe that's a thing that we can do in May at the budget workshop. I just wanted to relay that to my colleagues. Okay. I'm still encouraging everybody to vote. Thank you, Council Member Cisneros. Yeah, that's that's a. I'm glad that you brought up the budget items because I was kind of going over that in my head how that would work. And I suppose, like, yeah, we could take a, a sharpie and strike it, but I imagine we would then need to go ahead and put in the budget for there to be natural grass. And so, and I that amount would vary based on project. And so what I'm asking staff is make is making this uh, change, let, let's say council is of the mind, like, yeah, we know kind of what we want to do. We've had this conversation, you know, just hypothetically there, and we want to just put it on the agenda and get that through. Is it more helpful for you to go through the study issue process on this, thinking about budget items? Or I'm just thinking about legislatively, like how messy does that get on the staff level and how much more additional work, if any, is created by doing it this way versus the study issue way, which we're already doing? Um, the The process to amend the budget is very straightforward. Mm -hmm. And uh, I agree with Councilmember Melton that if you gave direction at the May workshop to amend that one project, when you the budget comes back in June for council approval, that project could be amended, the project description. The study issue goes well beyond that. The study issue says ban artificial turf everywhere in Sunnyvale. So if a homeowner wanted to put it in their front yard, we would say no can do. That policy issue is described in the study issue and city properties are mentioned as well. Okay, and, and that would be outside of the scope of the motion that's just been made. Correct. Okay, all right, that's, that's very helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Are there any other questions? I see a few hands up that may or may. Oh, thank you. Councilmember Melliger. Yes. Um, as I said, so I was the I did propose at the Lakewood Park hearing that we just say, you know what, let's just 
I've, I think I, the for words I said were, I'm not going to say I've heard enough, but I've heard very close to it or something along those lines. And that is still my position. Um, one of the things that I was very much considering raising at the study issue workshop was something like this. This feels like something we can just do and does not necessarily need to be tied up in what would frankly be a much more complicated study issue because it's touching private property. Um, and so, yes, I think agendizing this and just doing this makes a lot of sense. Uh, and so I will be supporting the motion. Thank you. Thank you. And and I'll be supporting this motion. Definitely. I've heard from uh, multiple residents and, and as council member Mellinger said, you know, it's like, we've had some discussion after that meeting on the best ways to do this to the, to the city manager when, when, when this assuming it looks like it's going to be agendized, um, trying to get a handle on additional costs. And I understand the budget's in flux and, and, you know, there's, it's one thing to say something that's happening in five years from now. It's a little bit different when we're talking about the community center and, and what the conceivable effects on that will be. And so I'll leave it to staff to evaluate that and whether or not it, it needs to be part of this and whether or not it needs to be, you know, part of, part of the item when, when the report to council comes, whether it's part of that item or it's a then supplemental of if approved, then we need to come back and it's about a budget modification for additional design, water, you know, you know, basically drainage, all these sorts of things that weren't envisioned when we did the first approval a year ago. So of the of the community center design. And so I understand it's 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 out and you know, I don't know exactly where that is. I thought it was breaking ground. And I can't remember in the fall. Um, and we haven't finished design, yeah. um, although it's in the design process. Yeah. So we'd have to, you know, look at, do we have design drawings for that that already showed the artificial turf? If you wanted to change it, then we go back to the designer and say, you need to change that. We probably, there probably would be a cost to that. So if uh, council approves this item, we would try to identify the cost to amend that. If it's, again, if the design's already done with artificial turf in it. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. And with that, City Clerk, can you please conduct a roll call vote? Sorry, a vote. Habits. Habits are hard to break. Thank you. I know. <laughs> are there any other non-agenda items or just comments? really quick the, the vote on that uh, passed six to zero with Councilmember Dean absent. Thank you. Are there any non other non-agenda items from council? Uh, Council Member Sell. I wanted to say that I went to the um, Sunnyvale, uh, Sunnyvale Library um, and to the Lunar New Year celebration. And it was a tremendous event. There were, um, there was acrobatics, there was uh, music, there was dragon dancing. And it's like, so many people, more than I've ever seen at the library and um, in between the activities, and there was activities for children, arts and stuff. And then in between the children and people were reading books in the library and it was just a tremendous event. And I just wanted to say that, wow, staff always outdoes themselves that this is really, really like tremendous. The uh, thing that they did for our community. So I just wanted to thank the library staff for putting on that event for the community and 
bringing people from all over to Sunnyvale, Sunnyvale Library. And it does show you how important our library is and the investment that we're making into researching the future of the library. You can see like, wow, what a library can do and how it can bring the community together and what joy it can bring to the community. So just want to thank you staff for that. Thank you, council member, and thank you and, and the vice mayor for attending the event. Please pass on to staff. Thanks for being flexible on a very rainy Sunday, uh, figuring out how to respond accordingly and, and wasn't an easy day for them. And I think, yes, as Councilmember Sell said, it was the most people I've ever seen inside of the library. And um, I'm happy that we that the fire marshal wasn't anywhere near because because it was it was packed. But 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 it, I appreciate the flexibility of getting you know making sure that the event still went on. And you know I think it was it was good from that standpoint. I do say that one of the things that I never thought would be an issue is the height of the roof in the library um, was actually an issue when we started looking at um, Mayan dancers and um, acrobats. So yeah, so a, a new, the height of the first floor plate, I never really considered as an issue when we're looking at additions or a new library, but um, it was actually very obvious when you went to that, when you went to the event. So thank you, thanks. Please pass on those, those thanks to staff. Uh, Vice Mayor Srinivasan. Oh, thank you. I want to echo that. And then in addition to the Lunar New Year, I also attended the STEM, uh, STEM week program in uh, the library. I was amazed at the kids so much enjoying, really small children, enjoying the science stories. And then on the adult section, there was women in science or women scientists talk on uh, different aspects of that. Really, really great uh, events. I want to once again echo thanks to uh, the city staff and uh, library staff for organizing that. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Uh, city Manager, do you have any comments? Uh, yes, Mayor, if I could, I just wanted to spend a minute and give you an update, sort of a recap of the storm that we had the last couple days, uh, how the city staff responded, um, responses from the city primarily come from uh, our public works department and environmental services department and public safety has a role in monitoring events as well and taking calls from the public. Um, with the high winds, we did see a number of trees down in our city parks. There was about 10 trees that, that tipped over. Um, one fence was damaged, no injuries. Um, our, both of our city golf courses were closed Sunday and Monday. Lots of limbs down, some localized flooding, and so those are those are cleaned up and and reopened. Um, we got about 144 calls from the community about trees, about limbs that fell in the street. Trees we confirmed about 17 mature trees fell. Two cars were damaged. Uh, no personal injuries uh, in in any of those fallen trees or other property damage. So they didn't fall on homes or businesses. Um, we did have a large tree on Henderson that took out a city streetlight, um, and we did have a power outage for City Hall on Sunday that we recovered from uh, Monday morning. Uh, we gave out about 350 sandbags to residents free. Um, there was no property damage due to flooding, 
but there was a lot of localized street flooding. Some streets had to be temporarily closed. And that happens when catch basins get um, clogged up. Our ESD staff takes the lead in clearing those out. And then typically they'll they'll dissipate. Um, so we clean dozens of storm drain inlets during the storm. And really overall the city fared very well. But I just wanted to provide you that recap. Thank you very much and happy to see you know, we weathered the storm, I think, a little bit better this year than the storms that we had about a year ago. And I think, you know, at least from comments I received from a few residents, they really appreciate the tree trimming that's happened over the last year. So so thanks to staff as far as that's concerned. Uh, with that, we will be adjourning this meeting at 8.54 p.m. Thanks to everyone who participated. Uh, have a good evening. Good night.